Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio North East and we're back. It's 2016. Happy New Year everybody. I'm very, very excited. Uh, there's apparently some music playing. Oh god. Uh, let's clear this. Okay. Sorry. I didn't realise the thing was playing. Anyway, right. We're back. Yeah, New Year's Jinx. Uh, I forgot I didn't realise. I thought you'd played David Bowie specifically for us because... Actually, uh, so hello Ricky, by the way. Ricky's our host. Happy New Year to you, good sir. Um, we were playing, da- we wanted to play David Bowie because Ricky told me before the show started, it is his birthday today. How old actually is he? He's 69. God, I was going to play a little mini game there where I was like, I don't, I would not have expected him to be 69. I don't know, for some reason I thought he was younger, but. He look- <laughs> Danny behind the scenes is going, he, he looks 69 now. Have you seen him? Yeah, our art critic, yeah. Yeah, we have, yeah, welcome to Danny's Corner, where, uh, he's gonna, we're gonna just name some artists and he's gonna decide whether he likes them or not. But yeah, as I said, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, welcome to Show 11, obviously it's 2016. Uh, if you wanna get in touch with us, please do at at underscore mentally sound on Twitter, or you can email us at mentally sound radio at gmail.com. And as me and Ricky are gonna talk about at the beginning of the show, but first of all, actually, what I should do, cause I never do this usually, is to mention who's gonna be in the show. Which is kind of interesting, isn't it, Ray? Because I don't usually do this, mm, mm. so we kind of should. We've so got a good lineup. Yeah. So, do you want to mention the? Actually, while I'm while I'm uh, looking through, do you want to guess? Do you want to say what guests you've got coming up? Because there's some really good ones. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm absolutely privileged and pleased to bring along uh, Jen, Jenny Wallwork. She's a, a patron and mentor for the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust. Dame Kelly, who we know, <coughs> double gold winning athlete back in Athens, wasn't it? In 2004? Yeah, yeah, something like that. What yeah. a brilliant um, thing that was to see. Did you watch that live? I did, actually, yeah. yeah. I, actually been, I was actually quite emotional and in tears. Yeah, because the iconic thing of... I've got to tell this, this quick thing, because I was going to do it in the interview, but we'll do it now while we're mm-hmm. on it, is... Yeah, I was watching it live and it was really interesting. Yeah. And uh, and I do like the Olympics, especially the running. I'm not so bothered about certain certain stuff, but the, the running and the athletics is yeah. pretty interesting. So the track events, as opposed to yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like obviously the hundred meter, especially with Usain Bolt and mm-hmm. stuff, is quite interesting. But anyway, yeah, I was watching that live, and um, afterwards when they sent the pl- like the you know when they they bring the plane back and they do the whole like yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They did a whole like tribute uh, and have like a bunch of people at Heathrow waiting for the athletes to come back. That's right. Well, there was a very famous story of a person who got a tattoo of Kelly Holmes, right? So, oh, do you remember the iconic um, image? Yeah. Do you remember the iconic image of her when she won the second event where she like celebrates as she's that, going along? It was that expression on her face. Yeah. Is, oh, this is unbelievable. And she's got her yeah. arms in yeah. the air. I know you can't yeah. see this being a radio show, but she's, I'm sure Ricky's uh, got her arms well, in yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone, I'm sure anyone who's seen this will know what I'm on about. So, a person decided to get a tattoo, a giant tattoo I, across I, their I back remember, with yeah. the arms, right? Yeah. And it's and she want I'm gonna want Holmes on like above it, so yeah. it's Holmes and her iconic image of yeah. her on the back. And she was waiting at Heathrow Airport, uh-huh. and it became like a meme on the internet because someone took a photograph because it was on the live feed where okay. like BBC waiting for the people uh-huh. because they like uh, and someone took a snapshot of it because mm-hmm. the person had got like that 12 hour long tattoo or whatever <laughs> it was, and uh, they missed the L out of Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> It was actually on Have, Have I Got News For You as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's probably where yeah, I saw it, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I was laughing so hard. And yeah. I was saying to our good friend Steve, who is going to be on later for Mental uh, mental Health News, yeah. and we were talking about, you know, I talked about the famous one that Billy Connolly does about, because I have, for those that don't know who haven't seen pictures of me, I have a bunch of tattoos, so I'm, I'm quite interested in tattoos anyway. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, did you ever see the Billy Connolly sketch he does where a guy asks for a, a thistle? 
No, no, tell me um, about it. It's incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, it's it's a it's basically um, uh, about a, a guy goes to Australia, I think it is, to like a, a tattoo place, right. like a, a, ta- a tattoo. Uh, how do you say it? Like a. Uh, a tattoo festival, as it were, right? So it's like an art festival, but as a bunch of tattoo artists. Was this one there. of his uh, tours? That he yeah, yeah. I think it was like the when he goes around on that uh, tricycle. No, it's it not that. Of... It's actually like one of the DVDs of like New York or something, uh, okay. where he talks. He has a ten-minute section where he right. talks about tattoos he heard that were just disasters. Okay. And there was one right where because he was a Scottish guy, mm-hmm. so he goes to this Chinese artist who's in this Australian festival and goes, right. "I want a thistle." Okay. Now he's like. A thistle, and so he doesn't speak very good English. So he's going a thistle, yeah. I want a thistle, and he goes, oh yeah, a thistle, thistle, yes, right. a thistle, and he goes, no, not a whistle, a oh, thistle, right. a thistle, and the guy goes, and the the Chinese guy's like confused. He's uh-huh. like, I've got no idea. Yeah. So he goes, okay, well, what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, why don't you write it down? Like, he basically says in pidgin English, you know. Well, he gives him a pad and paper and goes, yeah. uh, "Can you, can you write? Can you, can you draw what you're on about?" So mm-hmm. he draws a big giant thistle. Which, for those that don't know, if you know what a thistle is, it's a prickly flower. Yeah. It's a national flower of Scotland. Scotland yeah. um, so he wanted a thistle like a patriotic symbol. Mm-hmm. So he draws his best impression of a thistle, and then they chose the Chinese guy. The Chinese guy goes, "Ah, thistle, thistle, oh. thistle. Yes, I know thistle. Yeah. yeah. So, so he, um, so he." Again, like a whole twelve-hour, twelve-hour experience, getting this cringe-worthy tattoo, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, yeah, um, uh, and then like he goes back home and he's like, "Oh, thanks very much, mate." And or either he gets it shown at the end of the tattoo, probably is more likely. And so he gets the tattoo done, and the guy shows him it, and uh, it's a big giant pineapple. <laughs> because obviously it has a thistle like uh thing on its top so mm. yeah so there's some yeah. scottish guy as billy Connolly says there's some scottish guy in the world right now that's going around with a big giant pineapple I'll on his back never look at pineapples the same exactly way yeah, yeah. kind of cool have you have um do you have any tattoos i don't, I don't know that. no, no. Um, you ever thought about any yeah the nearest i came i don't know going back over a decade but <laughs> when i was into sort of native american art Mm-hmm. Um, I fancied getting one of those band ones across oh, yeah. my bicep. That's the nearest I've ever got to one. Mm-hmm. And then we talked in the new mental health news a few shows back. If you remember about the semicolon, remember that? Was oh it? yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So I, I, I look at that, and I don't think that's a very bad one to consider. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 one thing that I would think about at some point. You know, I think it's uh, when you think about it, it's a, a means to carry on for those who are mm-hmm. going through whatever they're going through, be it severe depression, anxiety. And you see that symbol on somebody else, you, you, there's sort of a recognition there, there's a sort of a solidarity factor. So, Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that, yeah. It's, it's funny because it does kind of like, uh, it does kind of come up because of the fact, obviously, as people know, I, I, have, I have a bunch of tattoos. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, it, it, I don't know whether, like, what, do you ever kind of care about, you know, because you know, a lot of people look at tattoos aesthetically and, and are like, yeah, okay, it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a thing to, for someone to see because obviously if they're walking along in the street, you're going to see certain tattoos if you're not if you've not got them yeah. if you've not got them you know hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, do you actually like sort of care about any definitions of tattoos? Because you know you know all, I've got no. five, but have you ever bothered about? I always asking look at me it or? as an expression yeah. of one's individuality, which is yeah. one, and it goes the same with because I work in the rag trade, so someone is, expresses themselves in a certain way, whether they and whatever motivates them, that's entirely down to them. I always mm. believe in the power of the individual, so. The same goes for tattoos. Um, I have no issue. <laughs> Although tattoos does, I don't know if you agree, it's getting a lot of bad press on these sort of documentary shows, you know, tattoo regrets and, you know, how well, do I get rid of this? I regret this. And actually, this is, 
I, I didn't realize this, but this might be why I'm, I'm subconsciously thinking this because I've yeah. just remembered. Um, I'm a huge NBA fan, which I, I think okay. you've known me long enough to know that I do. Mm. Uh, I love basketball. And they were having a debate on NBA.com right. about tattoos because it, obviously in that culture, mm-hmm. tattoos in basketball has become like the norm. Like, you know, LeBron, really? ja- LeBron James, who's the probably most well-known basketball player right now, he has mm-hmm. a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And... The reason they debated about it is because I think it was Memphis, I might be wrong, so the Memphis Grizzlies, Mm -hmm. they decided as a Christmas present over the Christmas period to give people free tattoos as their, like, to any, like, I don't know, like, season ticket holders, I think it was. Right. So, and people debated, like, you know, they were debating on that program, on the the website, there was, Mm -hmm. like, an article saying, why is, like, tattoos so, like relevant now and mm-hmm. is it setting a bad example and all this kind of stuff and i'm like no because yeah okay maybe it might be trendy but it's still an individual person's decision whether they want to get tattoos or not you know yeah. i would never look yeah. at for example ricky who is a friend of mine i would never look at you and go he doesn't have tattoos there's something quite wrong with yeah. him <laughs> which is because i wouldn't want the same to me if you see my point yeah. like i wouldn't yeah. want someone to look at me with tattoos and go and he doesn't deserve to be known it seems ludicrous to me but mm. But anyway, I don't know why we got on the tattoos. It was just interesting. It, it was just interesting. interesting. So I wanted to ask people because obviously it's the first year uh, and we're going to talk to Sean Byrne after the break, who's a poet artist about a bunch of different things. But I want to just ask uh, Ricky very quickly, what did you do for, for Christmas, good sir? Ooh, uh, it was actually quiet, um, how I preferred. Although I say quiet, it was still quite manic behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But the best thing for me, I got to spend time with my little nephew Chris if he he, okay. he won't be listening he's, he's too young <laughs> how old how old is he he's uh, he'll be two i think in march march that's not, that's not old that's not good enough <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to force him to listen to me <laughs> not just yet What's meant but no time? but uh, we are, it was a recent comic con in newcastle back in uh, october november uh-huh. and i got him his little lightsaber so it was mm-hmm. a nice and seeing him play around with that was a, it was a bit of a joy yeah. so but how was yours uh, it was all right i was uh, uh, the one, one of the reasons i brought it up was because in relation to my Christmas, it was really different than than usual. And the reason I say that is because I actually didn't do a great deal. I, I met all my family mm. beforehand, mm. Uh, before Christmas, because yeah. they went to my sister's as a last-minute decision. So I decided mm. not to go. Mm. And it was interesting. Uh, and I, I, I never did anything for New Year's, which I'm sure we'll get to later in the show. But yeah. Uh, in... Yeah, I mean, we, we're going to talk about loneliness a little bit later on in the news section. Yeah. And I think that, that'll, that'll, very, that'll dovetail with Christmas. Very, I think that'll very, create very, a good discussion, yeah. yeah. Great point. That's very relevant uh, with the with the winter period, especially with mental health, which is obviously what we're we had to mainly talk about. So, as we say, we're going to talk to Sean Byrne, and in, uh, and as uh, Ricky said earlier on, we've got a bunch of guests coming up. We've got Jenny Walwork, we've got David Hill, we've got Jules is going to do some poetry, and a bunch of other stuff, uh, which I'm dead excited to. And obviously, as I say, Steve is going to be doing mental health news this week with Ricky being our co-host. But I thought because we were talking about this, and I know Ricky's going to appreciate this song, is we were talking about the Verve. Uh, with Steve. So what we thought we'd do is play uh, a song by The Verve, and I've picked not the one we were going to, I've picked the other one, because that's in my head. Oh, do you want me to play it? Go on. No, I've changed it. We'll play it, we'll play it, we'll play that one, because it's relevant to mental health. So we're going to play The Verve, The Drugs Don't Work. Uh, Is that actually what it's called? I thought it was called something else, but maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, but yeah, so this is The Verve with The Drugs Don't Work, and we'll be back live in the studio to talk to Sean Verve, who's a poet and artist who's uh, here to talk about his poetry and various other things as well as his show and his uh, third volume of his books, which I'm excited to talk about. But as as I hear, this is The Verve with the Drugs Don't Work. Radio Northeast, and me and Ricky might sound slightly different because we're being all Howard Stern and standing up. 
So we're going to be all like, uh, so how are you? <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't homage to Howard. So yeah, if you listen, Howard. Howard. Yeah, 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 if you listen, Howard, yeah. we'd much appreciate it. But anyway, so what we're going to do is the we're going to speak to Sean Byrne. And uh, what was funny during the break is he was actually showing me his tattoo, which is pretty sweet. Obviously, you can't see it. But um, Ricky's the one, odd one out right now. I know. Uh, what, what, actually want, what actually is it, Sean? Well, the, the, there's two tattoos. I had them done in Aberdeen about 20, 25 years ago, so way before it was fashionable. <laughs> and they're both, they're, they're, and it was designed by a friend of mine who's an artist. And they're okay. Japanese koi, so Japanese carp. And one That's of them really is red cool. and black, one of them is yellow and black. And I, I haven't yet had the third one done, but there will be a third one going, snaking right the way around my arm. That's going to be orange and black, a big one. Wow. So they're, they're individual, uniquely designed for me. Mm-hmm. And the artist is sort of currently doing the third one. Wow, that's really cool. I really like them. When he I showed do, when yeah. he when he showed us the thing, I thought they were really cool. Anyway, are anyway, they are they personal that. symbolic to you? Is it? Well, uh, there was um, an exhibition in Aberdeen Art Gallery, yeah. and they had perspex jewellery of fish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I really loved it, but it was too small for me. So I decided then that I wanted these fish. Right. So it it, it it became symbolic, but it, right. it's not anything specific as okay. such. It's just I liked the I liked the look of them, and mm-hmm. I want I wanted that, which is perfectly acceptable. I really do not like people who go. You can't you need, you can't have a tattoo if it doesn't mean anything. You know, it can just look good. Like that's nothing funny. wrong with whimsy, is it? No, exactly. Yeah, whimsical. I think that's that was a Sheldon Cooper quote. Just <laughs> there, okay, yeah. We'll What's life without whimsy? I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we had obviously talked to Sean about your poetry, and you're an artist. Uh, which would you prefer? I guess well, is the best question. What I call myself is a writer, performer, and outsider artist. And an outsider artist is on. I've I've never done any art sort of training. I've never been to art school. I've never done O level, A level. Uh, classes, anything like that. So the, the outsider art tradition is people who've just sort of picked up things, just tried experimenting with cameras, tried experimenting with charcoal, with ink, with, with whatever, and making it up. And it does actually relate to mental health because going back about 100 years, outsider art were people who were in psychiatric hospitals in Germany, in Switzerland, in other places, and the art got collected by, art, by, by collectors. And then you realise there was this whole strain, this whole strand of art, of outsider art, uh, outsider artists for people often in, 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 in asylums, uh, as they were then called, and creating this very, very different-looking world mm-hmm. visually. That's really interesting. Mm. And it's kind of... In, is that what inspired you to do what you're kind of doing now? Because, you know, obviously you had to talk about you've got your own sketchbook, which I can yeah, see in front of you. Yeah, I have, yes. Um, which is interesting because what was the, the quote we got given, which was so fascinating... It was you said you you prefer it to call something, isn't it? It's uh, reclaiming the languages yeah, of lunacy. Was that the one? The languages of lunacy. I wrote, actually specifically wrote that down because I was thinking. That sounds fascinating. So do you want might, to explain? I might borrow that one time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it's, it's... I mean, everything that I do is, is Creative Commons licensed, so people are... You know, so stuff on the web, you can download it, you can redistribute it, whatever, as long as you're not making money out of it, yeah. but you can do that. But I, I love words, and I love language, and I love the way that language works. And one of the things about mental health is that that I don't like is the stigmatising language. So I often reclaim that or play, you know, poke fun at it or do that sort of thing. So what I've got in my sketchbook here, I've written over and over over again with the blue felt tip pen and just writing really really fast really really quickly so it looks a bit like a Jackson Pollock painting in the background you can see that there's art there, you can see that there's language you can see that there's words but you can't actually read it but on top of that I put individual words, new words so this is part of a project called Prison where I collide two existing words together to make a new word and the word that we're looking at is madvert, so it's mad and advert which I think advertising is I think advertising is 
mad. It is insane. Just talking about advertising before, weren't we? Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah. Before we started the show, we were talking about the sort of effect advertising yeah, has and various other things. Yeah, well, I, I, I love art and I love writing and love that, but I, d- I hate going out there. So Northumberland Street is a, tri- is a trial to me, sort of walking yeah. down there, and it's all this stuff just coming at you, all yeah. these voices, all these things. And I don't know whether the voices that I'm hearing are people or they're my voices. I don't know what I'm seeing. Are, are they the visions like or are they... It's yeah, chaotic, yeah. It, it's, well, it's way too chaotic for me, so I have that difficulty with that. That something I'm always fascinated about this. This is something I talked I touched, I talked about on my podcast where um, the difference between... Because we have... Uh, Jules will tell you about this because Jules has had both experiences. And I, and I, you know, growing up in a city, it's very chaotic, isn't it? So yeah. when you have stuff, when you have a mental health issue... You know, you kind of it kind of becomes too much, and you want to kind of escape from that. And for example, mm-hmm. my friend's spending a bunch of weeks in London for work, and he <laughs> hates it. He, he's like, because he lives just outside of Newcastle, so yeah. he's not used to. Because uh, London never sleeps, it's kind of like New York in that sense. Mm-hmm. So my my question is, do you think, with mental health in mind, because that's obviously part of what you do, is do you think it it with having a mental health problem that it may be better? to be not in not in the city because you've got the option of going into the city because that's kind of how I feel about things. Well, you see what I, mean? I find London way too big and way too threatening, way too yeah. fast. I've given a thumbs up there. Manchester, is, Manchester for me is quite hard. But I, I do like Newcastle. I actually live in Heaton and we've got okay. the park opposite. I've got a big yeah. dog. So I, I can go to the park with my big dog called Lyra, which is named after the Philip Pullman Dark Materials yeah. trilogy, the, the, the heroine in that. So I can go there, I can relax and all the rest of it. I can come into, I can come into the city. But also you can get through to the coast. You can get to the moors, you can get to Hadrian's Wall, those sorts of things. So Newcastle feels about the right size for me. You, you can be anonymous enough in it. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's not too busy. Although you know the Christmas shopping crowds, not my favourite you know, time really of year. All that stuff coming. There was a time at you. when I was applying for a job down London, and I remember the taxi driver's taking me to the station. And he said, "What are you, what are you applying for a job down London for? I mean, Newcastle. You're half an hour away from the coast. You're half an hour away from the countryside. It's ideal." And the more, the more I think back to what he said, the more right he is. Yeah, and I think there's also a north-south divide in terms of friendliness as well. Yeah, I mean, I up, up here it's a lot friendlier, definitely. Yeah, because you know, I, I spent five days in London uh, towards the end of last year um, for a convention, and one of the things that really annoyed me because it's as we touched on, it's always busy. Is just if they knock into you. They don't care. Yeah. It, it, and it, and it's, it's or now, they get aggressive. That's just the, yeah. yeah. Or it's aggressive. It's just, but they don't apologize for it. It's become the norm there. So yeah. they're just like you have to deal with it. That's the way it is. Whereas, what I love about Newcastle, I'm kind of proud of it because I'm a massive mm-hmm. proprietor of politeness. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Is I love it whenever you know you accidentally bum in and when what happens in everyday life, mm-hmm. it's much more for sure. Yeah. It, it's, I like the fact that we actually apologise, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I must. We, we must get to your, to your, to your obviously your other stuff that you've here <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. Well, he had to talk to you obviously about you got a new show in development. That's uh, right. Yeah. Well, it, it the, the the show's called With Added Nuts, and which is another one we love, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I like my titles very oh, much. Yeah. And um, well, instantly, I'm performing it in Newcastle on the Thursday, the 14th of April, 7 to 8 p.m. at Broad, Broadacre House, the the Recovery College, mm-hmm. the top floor there. And it's a mixture of spoken word, so poetry, and poetry that was written after one particular sectioning of mine. So I actually came out of the hospital with a carrier bag 
bag full of scraps of paper that I'd written. Half of them were illegible. Some of them were sort of conspiracy theories I just couldn't recognise, but some of it I pieced together to make this poetry. And the other half of the show, and they're kind of woven together, is live art and disability art. So, again, it's this thing about reclaiming the languages of lunacy. It's looking at the languages of it. So there's a nut case, which is a case of nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very beautiful. Yeah. And there'll be an auction for it to give it, and, uh, uh, the, uh, and it'll be given to one of the members of the audience. There's um, uses for DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, so we come up with different uses for that. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the big book that codifies mental ill health. And unfortunately, I'm still on volume four. I can't afford to buy volume five yet, which is the new one, twice as thick. Okay, yeah. but, but there's uses of that. So it, Damn books, that always happens, didn't it, when they double us? <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. But uh, I, I must want to get to, because actually this may be why I, got, I started the show with tattoos, because I was obviously done the script for the show. Is your boot your um your volume of poetry yeah. your third volume you're on right now is called uh, is that a bruise or a tattoo is, which is in which is in just I was going to say ingenious but it's actually genius I think that's <laughs> a really good title so uh, if where where can people find that uh, right is it's, there a way? it's published by Shearsman Press who mm-hmm. are Bristol based press so you can order it from any bookshop you can order it online or go to she- or look up Shearsman on, online and you can order it directly from the publisher itself S-H-E-A-R-S-M-A-N all one word okay, cool. so you, you can get it from that nice one. and there's a sequence in it called Bastille's England which is about one particular sectioning one particular sort of what actually broke out of a psychiatric hospital I was on level 3 OBS so yeah. you're being observed every 15 minutes and I nicked a teaspoon from the, the communal kitchen and I unpicked a window and climbed out of it and mm. got on a bus and got all the way to London which and then I got stuck in a phone box I I, I just couldn't cope with it. So, oh, but it, awesome. it's about a silent breakout. It's also about a historical person called John Clare, who was a real 19th century poet who had visions, who heard voices, and he broke out of an asylum in Epping Forest and spent five days walking home in the 1800s. Okay. And he would lie down each night with his head in the direction of travel, get up the next day and carry on walking back to Northamptonshire. So it's a bit about a silent breakout. It's about him then and about me now, and that's one of the sequences in the book. Yeah, that's fascinating. I was, yeah, I was just thinking about my own, uh, you know, psychological mm-hmm. problems. So I was in a psychiatric ward, and I could. There was a, a, a similar story to what you just said <laughs> about my attempt at leaving. I did several really, really bizarre things, but there you go. So yeah, um, I just wanted to ask you really quickly just before you go, because obviously, yeah, huge, huge thank you for coming on. Is to just ask You're you. Welcome. I I know a bunch of poets. We have Jules who, who does poetry a lot. Yeah. Do you think in relation because you know you, you you say you experience difficult times and. Is it fair to say poetry came out of that, and do you think it's like a therapeutic tool that helps? What I right, I always talk about writing as bandwidth. So it's not so that there used to be, and one of the problems is when you go to school, you get taught you're not allowed to write, or you're not good enough, or these are the great poets, you're not one of them. Mm-hmm. So you get so a lot of people get put off poetry, mm-hmm. and actually I it's not that. this it's not this pyramid where there's the great poets at the top and we're somewhere down at the bottom. It's bandwidth. We're all occupying a strand of this of uh, you know this this totality. And the thing is, writing is great, uh, or, and art, and all these things, any form of self-expression. For therapy, for if you want to put it in front of an audience, if you want to put it on the radio, if you want to have a book published, if you, know, if you just want to give it to a mate, or send it in, you know, put it up in a, a, doctor's, in a doctor's waiting room or something like that. So it can be therapeutic, it can be other things as well. But I think that you know, actually writing about your experiences, or drawing, or painting, or making a film, or photographing, or whatever you can do, can be absolutely great for that. And you know, exp- self-expression, it gives you a voice and that's one of the things that we don't have and actually gaining a voice getting a voice is what it's all about for me 
That's How would you go about promoting our therapy for others then? What do you think? Well, I think the thing to do is just to do it. That we have a cop in our head that says you're not allowed to do it, you can't do it, and just sit down, get a notebook or get a dictaphone and speak into it for five minutes a day or talk to someone for five minutes just, a day or five it, yeah. minutes a week. Yeah. Just do it. Try not to listen to those voices that are critical, that are telling you off, that are saying, shut up, you're not allowed to say that, you, you can't do that. And don't worry about it too much. And over time you'll say, I really like that one that I wrote six weeks ago and I really like mm-hmm. this. One. and then you'll say you start putting them together I and saying oh I've got a few of these I've got a few yeah, of these about a the theme I was talking about that earlier about my podcast and that whenever I bring podcast like I, I if I feel like I've had a bad time while doing it I'll listen to it back and realise wow sure. that was way better than it should have been and that's yeah. the case yeah. with a lot of stuff it reminds me of that joke I said and we need to wrap this up I just wanted to make the joke of Stephen Fry said if he did a self help book it would be 250 pages and the first book, the first page would say congratulations now writing this book in all brown pages yeah. Yeah. and I, I think he's got a point it really is kind of like there's no quick fix to it it's just kind of getting your stuff out there but find a voice um, yeah, and voice keep with it there's power than creativity and I anyway think we really need to wrap this up because we've got Jenny waiting so huge thank you Sean for being thank on you very thank much. you Sean please do check out your poetry um, as you say you can find it on the website you just mentioned uh, is there anywhere else you want to plug you on Twitter or anything not on Twitter but if you look on Flickr if you look on Vimeo if, if you look on um, SoundCloud and if you look on Audio Boom, you'll find loads of my stuff out there and Sean Byrne isn't it so C-A-N isn't it yes B-U-R-N that's right yeah so please do have a look at his stuff thank you too much thank you thank you do you want to do the do you want to do the intro for the for the song you've picked because yeah you picked it go on then do you want to just mention what it is? This is Bob Marley with that uh, powerful anthem, No Woman, No Cry. And you're listening to Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio. Yeah, FM. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Guys, welcome back to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast, and I apologise for the long delay. <laughs> I didn't realise that was a long song. That's the problem with when you uh, go on the database and just pick a random song and it turns out to be the, the live, live version. The live version, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologise for the seven-minute delay, but I'm, I hope we were good company to Jenny while we, she was waiting there. <laughs> but yeah, so that's why, uh, that obviously, was No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley, and, which was kind of, I don't know. Partly my fault, I selected it. Yeah. So we'll, 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 you know, we'll both take blame for that. I'm glad you took the blame. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, what I was wait- that's what I was waiting on. But anyway, uh, yeah, as I say, we have uh, Jenny Walwax here, uh, who's our guest uh, right now, who's here to talk about her foundation, which we've been joking about during the break, which is kind of funny. And uh, yeah, and so yeah, we're going to talk about that. She's got her own personal story to talk about as well, which, we, which, we're, which we're keen to hear about, as well as obviously she works for mentors is that, is that the right word yeah uh, she mentors for the dean kelly holmes trust which i'm fascinated about which obviously we mentioned uh, in the beginning of the show so hello jenny nice to meet you hi nice to meet you too awesome uh <laughs> how are you how are you how was the trip down to Lee- leeds yeah good thank you yeah. i enjoyed my trip to newcastle mm-hmm. you, how long have you been before to newcastle yeah i have a, i have a few months ago actually um, mm-hmm. and i love it here it's great Cool, awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you're approved. Um, so, how did the you know we've obviously just touched on the fact that you mentor for the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust. When did that start for you? Like, how long have you been working there? I have been working for the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust for nearly three years now, and it is something that I got into when I retired from playing sport professionally. I was a professional badminton player, and um, after having sort of a career spanning over ten years, it was it was something that. Um, transition-wise is quite difficult for any athlete and um, I reached out to the trust who not only supports disadvantaged youths but uses athletes as a way of motivating and inspiring young people and at the same time as making you know as making the transition for professional athletes easier outside outside of sport which is fantastic. 
It's a very good point. So there's background to how we got Jenny here, which we're mm-hmm. all excited about. Um, just, I think it was in December, I happened to catch it. It was the BBC Lifeline appeal. And that was where yeah. Dame Kelly, Kelly Holmes Trust made their pitch. It was very impressive. And we just got into a bit of a Twitter chat about it and oh, said, okay. uh, they mentioned about wanting to set up somewhere up north, like a northern base. And mm-hmm. then she said, we'll send a mentor up. Little did I know they would send so, such an esteemed guest. So we're all really <laughs> excited about this. But, uh, the main one. So just quickly, Jenny, what, what, what was it about badminton which got you into it? What was it the... My parents played professionally, so right. my mum played for England and my dad was also oh, an wow. international player as well. So it was in, it was in the blood, really. It was yeah. something that I loved from a very early age. Oh, what, and was what was her name? What was your mum? My mum was called Jill Warwick. He's called okay. Jill Warwick. Um, and they're both, they're both badminton coaches now, okay. so mm. it's been a bit of a badminton family. I was trying to family. think of the two ones that were quite well known. Nathan? Was it one called so Nathan, Nathan Robertson was yes. my, my mixed doubles partner. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at me with my yeah. Nolan. <laughs> Check Look you with the badminton knowledge. Who was the the blonde, the blonde girl. Gail Ems. Yeah, I've just threw my notes in the bin. Now. Know, yeah, <laughs> oh, is, that, is that what was on there? Yeah. You know, so, sorry, that's me. You've been doing a bit of badminton geek, research. My geekiness is coming through. <laughs> um, it's, I have to say, no, one of the few things I enjoy playing, because I'm not the most exercised person in the world, is I do like a game of badminton. I have a badminton record. Oh, so okay. I, I did like watching the Olympics. We were touching on this at the beginning of the show. We were talking about Olympic events that we actually liked. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was some of them. Um, but yeah, I wanted to touch on uh, the, the the thing you just said earlier about about athletes moving on to something else because that's fascinating to me. Because if you take, uh, I, I was touched on earlier in the show that I'm big into American sports, and I don't know what the percentage is, but it's something like eighty percent of uh, of uh, American athletes are broke within the first two years of them of them leaving whatever sport they're from because it's such a hard transition. Um, so I guess from I guess it's a very sort of outward look. But do you, are you kind of really uh, admirable to Kelly for for finding something that she can do after an athlete's ended that career, so to speak? Definitely. You know, I cannot thank the the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust more um, for what they've done for me. And there's so many people within the trust that. Uh, I would love to thank, there's too many to mention, but I mean, the support they've given me after retirement is unbelievable. And also the development that I've sort of been through myself, um, learning new skills and being able to develop and and mentor young people has been sort of a life-changing moment for me. And I I really can't thank them enough. And, And it's amazing now to be able to pass on what, we've learned as athletes yeah. and give young people every chance in the world they have to to succeed because mm-hmm. sometimes all they need is a helping hand and a bit of guidance and support and that's what the athletes look to do mm-hmm. and this was on the back of your own personal story wasn't it i mean i remember you you talked in the bio i remember looking at your website about as you were climbing that ladder ambition within your your own field of sport and you obviously had a, a big talent but that was obviously dovetailing with strict regimes about health and nutrition about maintaining the right weight was that when you noticed things going wrong uh, within yourself and what were those first telltale signs? Yeah, I think for me it was always a it was always a bit of a battle um, in terms of being a certain weight, a certain yeah. size, and, and competing and having to you know not only the pressure you get externally but the pressure you put on yourself more importantly. Yeah. And for me, there was always that pressure that I put on myself, always striving to do better, mm. always wanting more from myself, yeah. and um, it became a bit of an obsession really. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't until you know, I, I knew that, 
nutritionists and coaches were looking at me to lose weight, that mm. that suddenly became a problem for me and something mm. I struggled with, um, which then eventually led to an eating disorder. Mm. Um, and at 20, 21 years old, I started suffering with bulimia. Mm. Um, and whether or not that would have still happened if I wasn't in professional sport, I'll, I'll never know. Yeah. But, I, you know, the extent... Certainly must contribute, though. Definitely. Yeah. I, think, I think the pressures that you get and having spoke to many athletes now since and being lucky enough to work with so many fantastic athletes that have been so successful in their career, you realise mm. how many people have struggled too. It's something that, you know, I sort of have a varying interest in boxing and it's one of the things that they keep debating about in regards to, and it happens in like UFC and other combat sports like that, where they have weight classes and they binge, they sort of binge lose weight because it's the best way of maintaining your strength beforehand and then they'll gain the weight like Mm -hmm. pre-fight. And people have, they're doing research a lot about that now to see how much of an actual effect just actually, so my point is they're actively doing that as opposed to you having a problem which you can't control. Yeah. They're actually doing it for mm. real and that can lead to severe, mm. the, 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 they're now debating whether actually that's a good idea. And mm. and so, yeah, it happens right. across all sporting platforms. But do you think it's a particular problem hidden within sport? Because when yeah, we maybe. when we think about sport, I always, I always think of the word fun. I think back to my own childhood. I suppose when you're a professional like yourself, yeah. it, m- the pressure must have been enormous to to maintain that you know that level when you've got this going on in the background. How hard was it for you? I mean, it was it was very difficult. You know, you want to do everything you can to succeed. You want to put every single bit of effort you have into yeah. the sport you love, and mm. that's exactly what I did. And it wasn't until I started suffering with a mental illness mm. that I really started to struggle in all aspects of my yeah. life, really, and mm. what became a habit very very quickly became an addiction and that was difficult to deal with at what point at what point i mean you obviously if you feel uncomfortable at any point talking about anything yeah. feel free to feel free to say <laughs> i am I'm, I'm intrigued to know because i have bipolar disorder which everyone knows in the show okay. and you know obviously one of the things especially when you're young because you said 20 wasn't it you said yeah, where, where this was sort of starting to happen yeah um at what point did you feel that you knew you had a problem because that's kind of the hardest part about any disorder is that you don't know I mean I didn't know until my late teens that I had a real serious issue so what was it like for you when did you actually know I think for me straight away I knew I was doing something I shouldn't be doing you know and and initially it was all about losing weight it was about having to be a certain size but that very very quickly became an obsession and addiction into binging and purging and and eating huge amounts of food um and then and then purging so it became it did really become a a cycle that just got worse over a period of time and I knew instantly that I was doing something wrong but it wasn't until you know a couple of years down the line when I I really felt like I was out of control that I needed to reach out for help Mm -hmm. I also read before just just before about um they were reluctant to diagnose you quite early on weren't they when you you knew there was something wrong but you say that you weren't underweight yet or something, is that right? Yeah, so my experience with GPs has been also very difficult, yeah. which is exactly why I wanted to set up my, my foundation. It was because, mm. you know, I, I went to my local GP. You know, don't get me wrong, I have had support mm. from a lot of people, but I, I went to a local GP who asked me, do I have proof of my bulimia? Yeah. 
um, could I step on the scales? Mm. Um, and then later to say, we'll send you a letter home um, mm. and we'll let you know which support group you can join. And that so letter- I'm laughing because I have the same similar experience. I'm not laughing <laughs> <Right>. at you. <laughs> it's just, I'm laughing because it's like I'm, I'm going through my memories of all my yeah. stuff. I think we all have good Terrible. and bad stories. I felt the need to say that because I was sniggering. I was like, I don't want to be, I don't know yeah. to come across as yeah. offensive. It's just, no. I, I'm literally like reliving certain yeah. things here. Like, and, yeah, so. and I mean, the letter that came home just said, um, you know, unfortunately we can't let you join a support group because your BMI is not low enough. Yeah. So effectively telling someone who's opened up, you know, for me, it was all thinking, I just, I've always loved working with young people. Mm. And all yeah. I was thinking about when this was happening to me was, what about the 17, 16 year old girl mm. or boy that goes into a doctor's and tells them something that they were so afraid to tell them to be told, actually, you can't have support because you're not mm. thin enough. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it's crazy. just like what we say about with depression. You know, yeah. it's a similar thing. If you the, can't see it, if, you, if you're not, you're not depressed enough. I actually wrote a, mm. uh, a blog that's been released today on mental mental health, which we've had on before, yeah. and I made the, the 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 point very similar to what you just said of the 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 major problem I have with a lot of illnesses, and you can say this to a lot of stuff, which is makes to me even more relevant, yeah. is that as you say, a GP's first port of call is to diagnose you with something they yeah. have to make it look like they're doing things but it's mm. not necessarily to your point something that actually really helps no. it doesn't actually help the specific person <clears throat> and if we're going to have a criteria where we want everyone to have the same thing then why is it judged on how ill someone is it should be the fact like you say how many times do you hear stories of people who are willing to share a story like that mm. and a person goes no i don't believe you mm. But it's like myself. I don't it get was, that for at me. All. It was. Like it it was should be. It should be like that across the board. GPs just put yeah. down yeah. my thing to teenage angst. It wasn't yeah. until I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. They I actually, think it actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. So. Yeah, I got diagnosed right. with uh, when I was sixteen. Uh, I was failing my A levels. I was uh, of GCSEs, yeah, was uh, and I'm. And I got special permission to do exams outside of everybody else. And right. not many people know this because I did this kind of privately. They were really great about it. But the problem was, is I got diagnosed with severe depression. and But they just like, gave me medication and then sent me back. Yeah. And I would like sit down with my GP and give him a 10-minute <laughs> recital about how horrible my life is and yeah. how much I hated it. And yeah, they just they just Going back to what you saying uh, before about, the, about yeah. the weight issue, I mean, something else I campaign on is ethical fashion. Mm-hmm. Right. Another, you might have heard something called Models Law that's being brought out because there's models out there who are so underweight that the, develop, the, the risk of development and eating disorder is so high. Yeah. You, when you have these sort of um, hierarchy within the fashion industry, which can be a very cutthroat, brutal industry, as perhaps professional sport is, as, as you've alluded to. Yeah. Uh, do, do, do you draw similar parallels to that? Do you see... Yeah, I think I think social media and and everything to do with that is is linked, and it, and it's very difficult, especially for the younger generation, yeah. to deal with that now. Mm. You know, I, I go and work in schools, and obviously with the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, working with young people on mm. a daily basis. And there's nothing worse than seeing people look uncomfortable in their own yeah. skin. And and it's hard to say that because I am one of those people. Yeah. But, you know, I just want to be able to help and support the people mm. that are also feeling that way. And by seeing, you know, certain magazines mm. and certain fashion shows and things like that, it, it is difficult. And it the, media, the media aren't helpful either. I mean, you know, when they comment about image rather than, you know, talent. And it, Do you feel that sometimes? Yeah, I, you know, I, I do think the, the amount of young people I've spoken to mm. that have said that feel like social media is is one of the big reasons for them feeling the way they do it's it's got to be a contributing factor Mm -hmm. um and all we can do and all we do as a 
you know, as the trust do, is try and empower and engage mm-hmm. with young people and try to get the very best out of them and make mm-hmm. them realise there's there's more to life and yeah. and you know and help them and support them as much as we can. Do you yeah. ever talk to them about? Because I know this is something that, for example. Um, I've forgotten the girl's name. What was the the um, triathlon or decathlon girl who got the gold medal last time? I've got her. Jessica Ennis. Uh, Jessica Ennis, mm-hmm. yes. And um, she she got, which I was really pleased about because she, you know, I, I know this is like a, a, a difficult subject matter because it was all about how good looking she is because mm-hmm. she is a good looking woman. Yeah. But she got I think it was something like body of the air or something like that, and mm-hmm. and and I was really it, it got a lot of debate in the media. And it was almost like they were kind of not allowing her to kind of have that award. Yeah. As in, like, oh, why is this body being given it? And her response, I thought, was brilliant, where it was, she basically said, well, it's nice to have an athletic body out there yeah. because they get scrutinised all the time because, you know, especially, you know, with, with, with the way women's bodies change when they're athletes, mm. it's, it's more noticeable than a guy. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, during your time when you were doing it, um, was that ever a worry for you? And are you pleased that it seems like it's at least we're debating about it and maybe it's getting a little bit better is that fair to say yeah i think it's fantastic you know jessica Rennish should be a role model of of every yeah, young person great. out she's, there she's, she's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. and you know to look at someone so strong and so motivated and so successful as well you know that's that's what we want our young people to be mm-hmm. looking at as as a role model and i think it'll be you know the more we can push people into the line like that mm-hmm. like that the the better mm-hmm. awesome well, um, we're running out of time with you, which is unfortunate because I could, we could, I yeah, could talk, we I could could, talk yeah. to you forever. Um, <laughs> because we've got a million questions, but um, I want to obviously touch about we we touched on this, so I want you to, to talk about it a little bit. Is your foundation? Because we were joking about you picked it as your own name. And <laughs> that was very funny because we were like you typing it in, going, "Has anyone else got my? Has anyone else got the same name?" <laughs> so um, tell us about that because um, I think Ricky's told me that. Is, am I right you're in the, pros- you're in the, the process, process yeah. yeah so we're in the process of getting it registered at the moment but we've already done our first fundraiser which was an all stars sort of mm-hmm. all the England badminton players coming to play and raise money for for the the um, charity so that that's fantastic and we've got a big fundraising ball on the 20th of February in the, at the Hilton Hotel in Leeds where we've got sort of 20 athletes coming from the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust to support the event Brilliant. which is fantastic mm-hmm. um so, you know, hopefully Exciting. we can grow from here and really look to support as many people as possible. Best of luck with that. Thank mm-hmm. you Are you so on, much. are you on, is there, is that have a, any internet presence? Is it, have you got a website It or does, like I have got a website. Um, yeah, it's a Jenny Wall Work Foundation.co.uk um, and we have a, you know, you can follow us on Twitter and various things like that, but obviously... Yeah, you're at Jenny Wallwick on Twitter, aren't you, for your, for your personal one? Yes, yeah. I am. And um, um, Dame Kelly's Trust has a uh, Twitter as well, which is Dame Kelly's Trust on it Twitter It does. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, so. Uh, we mentioned that, and also I just wanted to get into because we always ask people this about future stuff. You have a fundraiser coming. Is it coming up? Is it? She mentioned the spring one? spring ball. Yeah, the, oh, is that the one you just did? Yeah, Sorry. the spring okay. balls on the twentieth of February. So okay, right. Um, yeah, we've had lots of support for that, which is fantastic. So mm. we're really just looking to sort of make a big impact there, and the support and the the people that have reached out so far to to really help has been it's been really touching so I, I wanted to ask because this is just the one the one final question I wanted to ask because I was really intrigued is how much would you say I know you may not be able to answer this 100% like with all the information but um, whenever anyone like Dame Kelly Holmes gets a trust the first thing people think is how involved is she so how much would you say she is on her trust 
Uh, I mean, she's so involved. Mm-hmm. She's she's fantastic. You know, every every big event we have, every celebration event we have for the young people, she's there. She's there to support. She's there to talk to the young people. You know, it's fantastic for them to be able to meet the person mm-hmm. who's set up such a fantastic charity. I also celebrate how candid she was on that pitch that I saw, the BBC Lifeline appeal. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. talked about her own depression and... Dovetailing yeah. dealing that with, with her yeah, own... Yeah, in relation to a mental yeah. health show, which yeah. is obviously is what we are. Yeah, I remember when she first retired that she didn't want to, because like, she just was like, what else do I do? And yeah. it's again, yeah. like you touched on earlier, athletes go through this mm. all the time. Yeah. And it's just not really treated that. Because everyone was thinking, oh, you get, you know, if, you, if it's a more well-known sport, you got a bunch of money, that's all you need to be happy, and it's not true. It must be know, a very rewarding feeling, I imagine, yeah. isn't it, to help those mentors? Bring back. Yeah. It is, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. the Trust have helped over 200,000 young people wow. throughout the year. UK so wow, far yeah. and you know it's just growing year by year and, and mm-hmm. Kelly has done a fantastic job so far and, and I can only imagine that it will continue to grow great well mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for coming in Jenny I appreciate it we'll not keep you because I know you need to go <laughs> is, uh, but thank you so much for coming on thank you on. so much uh, it's, please uh, do check out our stuff as she says uh, you can find her foundation on her website and as I said we can, you can, can also just mention when, if she comes back again which she hopes she does she brings <laughs> the medals in yeah oh we got medals you've got to touch them a couple five, t- five times national champion and a silver and bronze oh yeah no, I've got yeah, to say that because okay. yeah. uh, we need some bling in this studio yeah, exactly. uh, okay yeah, I'll bring yeah, a bit of bling like that Thank uh, you. Anyway, thank you so much, Jenny. Uh, as I say, we need to thank go because David's going to be on next. So what we're going to do, we're going to play a pre-recorded segment. This is David Hill being interviewed by our good friend, our good contributor, Steve, talking about before he goes on his uh, work placement in Asda, and then David's going to join us live in the studio to talk about how that process was. So we'll be right back after this interview. Uh, hi, it's Steve O'Driscoll here, and I've got the pleasure of speaking to David Hill today. Um, David, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, my name is David. Uh, I'm 43. I live in Forden, and I'm just about to start a little work trial at Asda tomorrow. So, a little, got a little bit, new, a little bit. I've got a lot of feelings about it. So, hopefully, be able to talk about it in uh, basically soon. Okay, so so David, um, you're saying you've got a bit of work experience coming up. Could you? How long is it since you worked? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, about uh, yeah, five and a half years. Actually, over five and a half years. Right, so it's a big step for you, really. Yeah, it is. It's a big step. I mean, it's not something you do lightly. So, but it's nice to ha- I have done little bits of um, work, like volunteer work, and you know, like to keep my hand in, give me something to do, basically. And so, are you? Do you enjoy? Doing volunteer work? I love doing volunteer okay. work, you know, it gets me out of the house, gets to meet people, you know, basically gets us in the world of work, you know, and, and you know, getting to say, oh, this is quite interesting, you know, and it's, I've done a bit of Lumiere, so I've actually got to, met, got to see a bit of Durham, I've actually got to meet some people from Durham and oh. be friendly, show them where, explain where something is, and, you know, just be, you know, basically make everyone feel welcome. Fabulous, David, fabulous. So, David, you're saying um, it's been a while since you've been in employment, but you've been volunteering. What kind of feelings are you are you feeling at the minute about this? Oh, I'd say very nervous and sort of you know anxious. You know, will it go well? How how will it you know will it will it, will it go well? Will I get on with everybody? You know, will I enjoy it? Uh, but I think mainly I'd probably say I'd 
how do you say quite excitement you know in between the anxiety yeah that's yeah. like but in the positives I'm very excited because you know if this goes well it could potentially lead to a job at Asda which I would really like or any other supermarkets that, that, you know, that are there oh yeah well I, I hope it does lead to employment for you David and uh, like I say it's a big step and a lot of people don't want to get back into work and I think it's fabulous mm. that you want to get the experience yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. if it's something to put on my CV plus in an interview situation I could say well I've done one to work for this I've done one to work for that I've, I've done a work trial they may think oh yes actually he sounds like someone we could employ definitely David and from speaking to you I would imagine well if I was an employer I'd definitely give you a job I mean yes. you're, you're very well spoken you're very pleasant polite so I can't, I can't see a problem with that um, is there anything else you would like to say David? Uh, I think basically that you know really I'm just so excited about what's going to happen in the next few weeks and just see you know see how things go I, I don't know whether I'll get a job out of it or not but I'm just happy to see see how it goes and then just take it from there well I'd like to wish you the best of luck with everything oh, with that thank um, you very much. David and um, would it be okay if I came and interviewed you again, maybe halfway through your work experience. Yeah, would that you? would be good. And just to see if your feelings have changed yeah, or if you're enjoying it. Yeah, it might, might, might be still the same thing, but obviously it might be a bit less, obviously once I've got used to working at Asda. Yeah, definitely, David. Well, I'll uh, wish you the best of luck with that, okay. and thank you so much okay, for talking to me today. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Steve for doing that. And as I mentioned, David Hill, who was on that pre-recorded section, joins us now live in the studio. Hello, sir. Hello. <laughs> oh, he's got the radio voice already, hasn't he? Yeah. He's all covering. Yeah. Uh, it's all great. Well, as we heard on that, um, on the on the, the the pre-recorded, we just showed, we just uh, let people listen to there is. You were doing uh, work placement in Asda. That's that correct, that's yeah? correct. Yes. And how long ago? How long ago was that um, done? That I think that was done before. I think the end of November because I would I, I start at the end of November and I did ten shifts between the end of November just before Christmas. Okay. So I I basically did um, ten shifts between three and a half hours. So it was like first ten were done between uh, Friday and Saturday. The last uh, last one was Friday Saturday before Christmas, and the Monday and Tuesday just before Christmas. Brilliant. So I was there for three and a half hours. I'm there from seven in the morning till half ten in the morning. Okay. Very busy period, obviously being Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was because there was a lot of uh, stuff to put out for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So basically, my, my genuine rule in the place was to like uh, put stock on the shelf and you know uh, replenish stock if stock needed. Um, boosting or, or the need to put stuff actually on the shelf that's what i would do okay i have to just say as well before we go any further is yeah you must he must be i don't know whether you agree with this the most immaculately dressed uh, guest we've ever had he's got a bow tie gotta make an effort you <laughs> see i'm on radio i know yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly yeah. i know it's like that we're know. all we're all dressed that's it yeah exactly right now, yeah. i think yeah i think next time i'll just bring a dinner jacket <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could be in tracksuit bottoms so people puts us to shame, yeah. though, but doesn't I know, he? yeah, he does. He makes me feel... I, don't, I feel like I'm dressed appropriately, but yeah. not, not, not with this man. No, no. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to say that because it's kind of funny. That's okay. But, but, uh, is, so, obviously, you touched on, as Ricky just said, you were for over the Christmas period. So I guess, based on that pre-recording, having you here, how mm. did it go? It went really well. 
I think that there was a few, you know, sometimes I would put things in the wrong place or didn't know where things were. But I always asked somebody, I always said, look, I don't know where this goes. Could you show me where this goes? Could you show me where that goes? Mm-hmm. Always politely, always being respectful of the team I'm working with. And also, if customers came and they didn't know where something was, I'd say, well, I'll put, can I point you to, uh, it's on aisle five or... If you don't know, if I didn't know anything, I say, look, there's my colleague over there, Richard, or mm-hmm. there's my colleague over there, Sally. Mm-hmm. You just go and speak to them. They'll show you where, whatever you want is there. And were you assigned to a supervisor to? to I had two on? supervisors. Yeah. Uh, I had, I think, yeah, one was called Paul. I can't mm-hmm. remember the other man's name, so I do apologise if you're listening. Um, but no, I, basically, I, I got. Um, basically two people to help me so yeah. if I, I, I had a problem I could always go to them and say well actually I don't know where this is so but they would always be polite and not go not complain that I'm asking too much but that's that's their job I don't know anything goes and they do, they may or may not know but they you know they've had a little bit more experience than I have mm-hmm. so I can only do the best that I can really. well I mean there's plenty of examples in jobs where that's kind of good that you do that there's some people who are worried about asking questions in that regard and that's the only way you get better in certain yeah that's that that to me i sometimes i feel that life people do say oh you don't ask questions well i don't mind asking questions when they snap your head off and you're trying to ask yeah i would actually you know if i i've had the occasion where i have you know had people work for me and Mm. one of the things that i most I would actually prefer is that they actually did ask questions because if they don't, then that leads me to think that if they did want to ask a question, they're holding on to that and that might actually ruin what I'm asking mm. them to do. So it's far better mm-hmm. to be to clarify stuff than mm-hmm. than uh, to hold it back. So yeah, if people do shout at you, I think that's more their well, problem. That's, than, yeah, that's <laughs> it. I used to I used to have it in places, and yeah. and it makes you sort of scared to ask because you think all all I want to know is one little simple information. I'm sorry that I ruined your day. No, I yeah. just want I want to know. Well, where's the school? Like <laughs> the day's already been ruined for somewhere about whatever reason. But yes. So, gone. So, I was say, so obviously the supermarket as an environment, uh, obviously during a busy period like that can be quite, at times when I'm even going out doing my own shopping, uh, when it's packed, it can be quite intimidating. What was it like? What was it like for you? I think it was okay. It was all right. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. You know, I had customers coming in, but that's the whole point. I'd rather. I mean, I know actually the first hour that I was there. It was before it opened. I think before Christmas, it actually mm-hmm. did open at 7 in the morning. So the first hour was just to get everything ready before people came in. Yeah. So, you know, when people come in, oh, that's where this is, that's where that is. And I always try and make sure any product is put at the front of the shelf. So you go in the shop, oh, there's a bottle of pop or cap- some crisps. There you are. That, that's right there. So you can grab it. And then, you know, you, you at least you've got it now, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, you obviously sound a very gregarious person, so when people come to you asking for help, do you, and when you sort of you know, answered their request, did you get a rewarding feeling that you felt that you I, helped out? I think sometimes people said thank you. I think yeah. that, to me, is a little bit of a reward. Because that's like me, that? if, if I get a thank you, even something like a bus driver yeah. or someone, that could really like <laughs> lift me up. Yeah, totally. I love it when people are nice. You know, when um, because everyone thinks, because it's an American thing, isn't it? To say yes. have a nice day kind of mm. thing. But I like it. I, mm. I must say, I, maybe it's me being superficial, but I really do like, you know, if I'm going into a shop like you said, yeah. and just someone goes, oh, have a nice day. Because I always say that because I'm mm. just polite. I always exactly. go, thanks a lot, like, thanks a lot, mate, or whatever. You know, whatever. Mm. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel it's important because, you know, 
I, I, you can make some sort somewhat of an argument that quite a few people who do them type of jobs may not necessarily want to do it forever. Yeah. So yeah, they're actually doing something tedious, but it actually is helping you. So mm-hmm. I feel it's it's kind of relevant to be nice to them. You know, yeah, that's it. It's, a, it's like a little victory, isn't it? You know, yeah. it may not be for you, but you think you know, I've just made yeah, someone exactly. happy. Puts a spring in your step, doesn't it? Exactly. Because exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. people come in, they might have just only wanted. To get some milk and someone's been very polite chatted to them made their day mm-hmm. I think oh I might definitely go in that shop again if people are very nice so but yeah, if I understood this correctly that I think it was mentioned in the pre-record that you were on benefits beforehand well you? actually still actually I'm actually still unemployed but okay. I mean it's basically work experience to get me you yeah. know back into that, that world of work so how well, long how long you, if you don't mind me asking how long have you been on I've benefits? been yeah it's about yeah about six years on and on you know like basically I've been yeah, unemployed for on. six years yeah, but yeah. I, I I do look for work I'm yeah, not yeah. I know I don't sort of like oh you know sit in the house thinking well, will I find a job I go to a job club um, three days a week well mm-hmm. actually it's down to two now but you know to, to, to find um, to look for jobs and say yeah. right I'll apply for this job even if I don't get that job I'm saying to myself do you know what I've, I've, I've applied I've put yeah. my name out there mm-hmm. put, basically uh, put my hat in the ring yeah. as the old saying goes yeah and I mean the, you know the, you know, I know we don't want to get too much into politics, I know no. Ricky can, but is, is that uh, is that there? You know, there is a, a you know, jobs are hard to come by and various other things. You're not the only person in that situation, and I'm sure that there's plenty of times. I mean, I, I'll freely admit because I, it's I, I, people who know me know about this. Is that is that um, I was on job seat. I've been on job seat mm-hmm. allowance before. Too, I'm yeah. currently mm-hmm. on housing benefit because I've been sick. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I. I really do appreciate when it's there because especially you know where he had to talk mm-hmm. predominantly about when people get severely ill or, or ill enough that they can't yeah. work and you know it's good that it's there because you know but it's nice to hear that you're mm. you know you're trying you know because yeah. you know some people that don't but yeah i mean nice i go to, to a, i go to actually to a place called streetwise opera and that's basically yeah, about yeah, homeless the, the homeless and yeah. that's the thing i always worry about is you know, like uh, when I lost my job, will I be homeless? Are they going to say, well, you've got no job? How can you, you know, but you can't have your rent? And thank yeah. God I'm still at the place I'm, I'm at. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I was worried that when I lost my job, would that would it end up not having me home anymore? But I think, well, thank goodness I've still got my home. Yeah. But, I'm just, but, you know, it's, all I can do is go out there and apply for a job. I, I can only do my best. If I go for the interview, and even if they said, you know, you've, you've gone there and done your best, if they bring you back and say, you know, we were great candidate, but you know, we weren't we weren't really for us. I've done my, the best I can, really. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so um, I guess the best way of ending this is to ask you how are things now? Did it go well, or are you looking for work? What's the what's the current state for you? I'd, I'd say things went really well, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. And it was it was good to, to you know go out and you know do something, and and I hope it leads to something. I, I mean, I I don't know. I'm just sort of happy to go in there mucking. Have a have a have a good time and enjoy myself. Good it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 a pleasure listening because you yeah. know you know in terms of like when we talk about benefits and the stigma attached, people, the media that can be very harsh on that. Other people think of you know the sling words like sponge and stuff. But you actually absolutely contradicts that, doesn't he? Because he he's shown that it's it's not that way at all. And no, no, of course, yeah. yeah. And good luck, mm-hmm. good luck with everything. I okay. Hope you, I hope well, thank you very much. No problem, and thanks for thanks for coming on. Okay. And, uh, as I say, on behalf of everyone, we hope uh, we hope things go well and uh, right. happy happy new year. Oh, well, happy new year, and uh, I had a really nice time. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You're welcome. Uh, as we say, uh, right next we're going to do is mental health news with good old Steve. 
But in the meantime, because we were talking about this earlier, we're going to play a bit of Beatles with I Feel Fine, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Welcome everyone to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. As we touched on earlier in the show, if you want to contact us, you can at, at underscore Mentally Sound on Twitter or Mentally Sound Radio at gmail.com for an email. Please tell us how your New Year went or Christmas or Absolutely, how, how yeah. your disorders are. Or, or maybe, like as David touched on, which I oh, thank you for doing the interview, by the way, Steve. That was really good. Okay. Is um is yeah maybe you're uh, on benefits. You've lost your job over the year, and maybe you know if you want to tell us about that, feel free. Uh, we're more than happy to, to do that. But this is the section, which Ricky usually does, and it's great for me because I can kind of take a break in terms of I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so Steve, our very good contributor, uh, is here to do mental health news. Hello, Steve. Hello. Pleased, pleased to be here. Thanks. No worries. Thanks for filling in for good old Ricky while he does the call. Oh, it's okay. Um, more than adequate all... substitute. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I'd say slightly better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. put, I put that on a plate for him, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead, Steve. So, yeah. so, sorry, as I say, uh, mental health news, for those that don't know, is a section where we do uh, mental health news that we've done, that's not, that's happened during the time we were last on. Uh, so, it's anything from research, yes. good news, bad news, you know, it's uplifting news, because that's what we're all about. It's a, yes. it's a And home. we've got about 10 minutes to talk about them. So, fire away, Steve. Um, sorry. Thanks, uh, and thanks, everybody. Uh, the first one, which kind of ties in with David's, is the Department for Work and Pensions fit-for-work assessments have now been found that they actually cost more money than they save, which I thought was rather interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean... It is, yeah. Me, personally, I, about a year ago, I had a back-to-work assessment, and I was in there two and a half hours. The guy that was doing the assessment actually told me that he could understand how difficult day-to-day life was, and I got zero points. Now, I could have appealed against that and cost the government more money, but I actually took my own initiative and started working freelance. So yeah. I can quite well believe how it is mm-hmm. actually costing more money mm-hmm. than saving. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally agree. And the reason why you said that's that's funny is because I've had so many occasions with being unwell and being mm-hmm. at stages of being unemployed. Yeah. Uh, is that yeah? They the, the first thing they say to you is, "Oh, it's a cost-cutting measure. That's yeah. why they do it." And it's just silly. Is that I'll give you a quick story that once. Um, uh, in relation to that, where I actually had a, a, a job interview, where um, where they said they said exactly that. Like, yeah, I always I always joke about it with I always joke about it with people that you sit down in these job interviews and they go, "What would you like to do as a future career?" And yeah. so I would say to them, you know, as you know, like a media related. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I applied for the BBC when I left university. That was the main time I was unemployed. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would say to them, "Oh, what would I like to do?" And then they'd go. Oh yeah, that's all well and good, but um, have you seen that uh, Asda are uh, doing stuff right now? <laughs> it's like yeah, so they exactly. make you, put they you make down. do a forty-five minute yeah. soliloquy about how much you love media, and they go, "Have you thought about um, the grocery store around the corner?" Mm. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, of course I do. I'd happily work. That's not the point. I'm trying to make a career or something." Yeah, exactly. You need to do something yeah. enjoy yeah. as well. And you you, know? you have to bring in evidence that you've been applying. So I remember having to bring yeah. in every sort of like rejection letter, which oh. you could you could practically wallpaper the whole job so, centre with, yeah. you know. And I mean, there was many a times I went into the job centre. I had to prove how many jobs I'd applied for yeah, yeah. and where I'd been, and you had to actually prove that during yeah. the time. Yeah, it's, it's like how do you prove it? And it's like there's a difference between proving and writing it on a diary, yeah. which is what they get you to do. They get them and put them in. Well, yeah, I suppose you, you don't yeah. you don't get rejection letters. It must be rejection emails, so you probably have to. Oh yeah, probably all done electronically yeah. now. I know, but the thing is, you don't necessarily get a. Sometimes uh, you don't know. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, not even no, an automated rejection. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, that doesn't mean I didn't try. I know. But anyway, exactly. we can go on well, anyway, moving yeah. on. Uh, a bit of a more positive story, and this one's from the Care Two website, and it's actually about American 
veterans who are suffering from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, they're actually using wolves now, pairing an American vet up with a wolf. As like therapy dogs. As therapy, yeah. and a lot of the veterans are saying it's, it's actually better yeah. than conventional I therapy. Like this news as well, I and I mean, it, it'll benefit the wolves as well, because I mean, a lot of them wolves have been living in terrible conditions and they've been abused, chained up and stuff like that. Well, I think they're endangered you know, so as well, so it benefits, it's a win-win situation, isn't yeah. it, really? Definitely. Again, with my, with my sense of humour, I struggled really hard not to laugh there, but it's just the phrase you said of, it's better for the wolves. I just love this idea of the wolves going, I've got a pet, look, it's yeah, a human yeah, being. Yeah, human being, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the wolves are... <laughs> I've got my own ex-soldier. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. In case anything goes bad, down. I've got. But, but I mean, they're not exactly in direct contact with the wolves because oh, one of the veterans says one of the veterans has actually said when he calls the wolf's name now, it yeah. runs along the fence beside him. So I would imagine they're still partitioned off yeah. from each other with wolves being a wild animal. I mean, course. just my own quick story. I mean, I have PTSD, and when I had my own breakdown, uh, my neighbour's <laughs> cat, who was once very, it was a very timid cat, wouldn't go anywhere near me. And then during my, my breakdown, you know, I'd spend a lot of time in the backyard just sort of sulking away. And then just all of a sudden, this neighbour's cat just took a shine. You yeah. could detect that something was wrong. And, and it's probably good thera- yeah, therapy for yourself as well. You, I said this to you guys before the show that um, one of the things they do, and it's great that they're doing that for army vets, but um, they did, for conventional, you know, depression for the, the general public in America, uh, for a long time, I was telling this to you guys earlier, is that they get, they uh, give ferrets to people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. ferrets, is, yeah. supposedly, it's because they're quite territorial. And as I say, like mm. we, we, like, you, like uh, Steve just touched on, mm. there's certain animals that have a better sense of, of, of you having mm-hmm. a different behavior because if you mm-hmm. think about it animals have a very behavioral attitude anyway Definitely. so they'll look at something and see that there's a difference because your behavior or your outlooks change so um yeah apparently ferrets are really great well could i just say uh, uh Stephen, if you did get a ferret you might have to get some extra deodorant I know, because yeah. you know there's yeah, a bit of aroma there as well yeah, yeah. Apparently go to the toilet yeah. i mean yeah. pets in general i mean the, the beneficial aspects is yeah. not alien is it it's, it's quite a it's quite a recommended mm-hmm. thing. I often read all these sort of well, mental admit, well-being I'll admit, signs. And I'll admit now, yep. right now, I've been waiting for this to be the opportunity. I'm thinking about getting a dog. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm yeah. thinking of getting a cat, which is a big thing for me, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe okay. we should team them together. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I'm, and, and yeah, there's, 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 a, there's Amer- America's full of that, though. There's, there's, yeah, the, the, do you know, like, it's a QI uh, fact that the most number of tigers in the world are in Texas. Yeah, are in right. uh, cages. Yeah, yeah, I, would have, I wouldn't have believed There's that. There's more tigers in America yeah. than they yeah. are in the wild, which is very tiny. Which, yeah, tells you how dangerous they are. Okay. Yeah, uh, and the next story I had, which I thought was quite interesting, was from the Daily Mirror, and it's actually a brave teenager who's battled anorexia, and she's actually published her own cookbook to help other sufferers. And how she overcame that was, um, she, she realised how unwell and ill she was becoming, two years ago, and she started cooking meals for her family, mm-hmm. but she would punish herself by not actually eating any of the food. Right. And then oh. bit by bit, she started eating gradually, and now she's on the way to recovery, but she self-published a cookbook for other anorexics with right. recipes that she used What's to get about recovery. And the book's called My Super Sweet Recovery Cookbook, and it's by a girl called Nicola Davis. Right. And Nicola we were just talking about eating disorders now. before, weren't we? With yeah, Jenny. exactly, yeah, with Jenny, yeah. So that's, that's, that's actually quite a valid point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, have you got any more? Um, yes, um, Ricky was saying last night that there was a programme on oh, Panorama, yeah, was it, about right. loneliness? It was, yeah, mm. uh, it was It was trending quite high on Twitter. I was quite amazed at how the big response it was. It was, it was called The Age of Loneliness. Um, it, it was looking at it in a very sort of generic point of view it, to break the stigma that, that anything like home loneliness might meant that are you a lovesick or you just didn't have any friends but 
even the most sociable of persons can, yeah. can be can quite be lonely, lonely of course. Yeah, and, and I mean a lot of people in hospital as well Ricky you mm. mightn't realise that they're patients in hospital but they can be lonely they mightn't have any visitors they mightn't have any family but yeah. nobody knows well yeah. I mean this is this is the point I made is that exactly that is the yeah. the more if you think about it the more extreme an illness gets the more you get isolated because you end Definitely. up in a private mm-hmm. ward mm-hmm. you end up in a in you're away cases, from society away from aren't hospitals you? Yeah. away from society yeah, yeah. you know because it's one of the things that I make the, the point of about psychiatric wards is they're always not in a conventional hospital they're always a separate yeah, being, separate building and uh, like miles away from people and, and as you say if you're especially if you're in that environment where you're confined already mm-hmm. the Definitely. thing that gives you any sort of hope at all is that the outside world comes to yeah. you and so if they make that harder I mean the telling yeah. aspect of last night's programme was mm-hmm. just the people who were feeling this way what they actually said you know which was consistent in the programme if only one person actually rang up to see how I was yeah, and dropped in to see how I was a quick call a quick call yeah. phone call it didn't have to be anyone yeah. close or related uh, so, to them just yeah. Just someone who was, you know, showed a bit of empathy. Because it like, Steve, deal, like yeah. Stephen just said there about the loneliness in, in the hospital as well when you're isolated from the community, mm. people don't realise when, you, when you're seen as well and you're released back into the community, you might be going home to an empty flat, That's just right, living yeah. on your own, and yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, all that recovery's gone yeah. because well, you're, going, you're going back it, into the I'd same situation. I'd go a little situation. step further. You're, you're right in what you say. I'd take it a step further and say... Um, very often it's because you don't have the choice you, you know yeah. in a lot of these hospitals especially if you're not very well you're in hospital because you can't function yeah so you're yeah. actually stuck in that environment uh, where you know so i guess the the difference is like you know i, I was in that situation and i live on my own now but mm-hmm. i at least i have the the choice to go somewhere That's if i want true, to yeah. Uh, yeah whereas in hospital the problem is you don't and the thing uh, i just wanted to say because he's touching this it's such a great point Rick, ricky made is that it drives me crazy when people yeah. say who suffer mental health, oh, I, oh I, there's nothing really I can do, and and as you just said, it's something mm-hmm. I always say. How many times? And I don't, I know I don't even need to ask you this because I know you're going to yeah. say yeah. Is that how many times have you felt really, really bad about about yourself, or you're going through a bad time with your with your mental mm-hmm. mental health, mm-hmm. and someone just. Te- Tweets you out of the blue. Yeah, you out it makes the blue, all the difference. Pulls you out of the blue and makes all the difference. Oh, why are you we, ringing? I just want yeah. to know how you are. Yeah. And how we've had that conversation helps. between ourselves Definitely. quite yeah. regularly. That yeah. each one of us, you know, in this room, have had our own sort of thing to go through. Yeah, yeah. And one of us, one of our sort of colleagues, just just sends a tweet, direct that message. Makes all the yeah. difference, Ricky. Yeah, I mean, I admitted to you before, Steve, didn't I, about you know being moved to tears when somebody can just do that. that of course, that's yeah. the impact it, it means to us. And, I, and I mean, it's like being involved with this radio station. I mean, yeah. it's volunteering, but you know, you're getting a, a friendship network yeah. as well. I mean, totally. I went through yeah. a bit of a bad time at Christmas, yeah. and there were people there for us. Yeah, there was Ricky, yeah. there was Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the end of a phone, and it makes all that difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, no, just no, have someone nice to talk. Talking, to. Yeah, that was right, right. I was rang him yeah. for just a script thing. It was quite nice talking. Yeah, it was uh, great. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that I wasn't here when Stephen. And sort of made that remark. How, was it, Ricky, how are you doing there with sort of like missing? Yeah, you? I just said Ricky. I think I said something like Ricky I mean, usually that, does this. And that, I'm like, yeah, that, 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 all right. that oh. meant a lot to me. Yeah. So yeah. thanks, Stephen. Yeah. No but thanks, everybody. Sorry, as I was saying during this with the loneliness, I'm, I've been hugging Ricky the entire time. Just a quick point as well. I mean, we, we, we talked to Samaritans uh, a few yeah. shows ago. Yeah, yeah, we talked about loneliness, and I know there's a big thing in the media about it, but what they confirmed, it's never been. A recent phenomenon. It's always been there. It's just never been yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, I need to make a distinction. I'm actually being looked after by wolves in my house. <laughs> okay. We need to get a wolf. We need a wolf in this studio. Don't not we? to get a wolf. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll all chip in and get yeah, a wolf. Yeah, surprisingly quiet this wolf in the yeah. corner. But anyway, uh, you got one, one quick one? Got yeah, I suppose another one after the, the hectic Christmas people have had, maybe drinking alcohol, it's actually dry January. Uh-huh. And you can have a holiday from booze, and the idea is... It'll save you money, you might lose weight and you'll feel energised. You can sign up ah. for free at dryjanuary.org.uk and it's just a website to support you. Maybe drink soft drinks for a month and realise oh, the benefit. Is this a national topic. campaign, driver? It's a national it? campaign, Ricky. Uh, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe, I, I, I feel my friends lie to me. Yeah. The reason I say that is because my friend, the first time I saw my friend in January, uh, he turned to me and said exactly that. He went, oh, he was in the car, in the car on the way to the pub uh-huh. we usually go to, and he just went, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. And he he, he then went, oh, I've decided not to drink for, for January. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like, he, he no, made it no, out like right. it was his decision. I'm, I've got a funny feeling he may have yeah, saw that definitely. and went, oh, that's a good idea. Because I was mm-hmm. thinking, he's not, uh, just to clarify, he's one of my oldest yeah closest okay, friends okay. and yeah. he's not got a problem yeah. but he's a social drinker he yeah. drinks with his girlfriend and his parents and all those kind of things so he's just it is a, a fairly big decision for him because mm. it's not compared yeah. to me who I hardly drink at all I'll, I'll drink with I don't guy. drink I, I, yeah, I know you don't but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so me too I, you know. I, we've admitted to ourselves before haven't we I, I've mm. been four years dry now it's, yeah and it's, I mean I think it's 15 no, no, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Too, yeah. it is surprising the difference mm. makes in your pocket and your actual physical health and your you, mental you health you mentioned well. uh, Christmas just then before we, we should we should really touch on how loneliness uh, yeah. impacts on oh, people during that time yeah I mean a lot of people are sitting in their flat on their own and they haven't got a Maybe not even getting a Christmas dinner, mm-hmm. and they might turn alcohol or the yeah, drink. You know, and great, it just great link there. Yeah, it shows yeah, how much of a, how much I prefer being on my own sometimes because yeah. I did that over Christmas and I absolutely yeah. had the best time ever. Oh, <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. Honestly, yeah. I'm not lying. I yeah. I did nothing because like my, my my family were like away, so yeah. I was like I, I saw them beforehand and went. I'm just going to have a me holiday. And it, but it, it works really for some great, people, yeah. Stephen, and oh, for yeah, other no, people, yeah. you know. And, I, yeah. and, I, and just to clarify, because this is what mental health can do to you, that I was just fortunate that I felt that way. Yeah. I, might have, I might have been different yeah. other times. Mm. But, uh, mm. no, well, great to hear you had a good Christmas. No, I, yeah, I, had a great, <laughs> I had a great time. I was like, I was sitting there just, I'm like, I finally yeah. got to play on my PlayStation. Yay. Great stuff. Great. <laughs> great. Right, I ran out of time, unfortunately. Uh, thanks very much for asking us to do the news. Phenomenal work, Steve. Thank you. That was really fun. Good debates. Thank you. Is there anything you want to is there anything you want to plug are you doing are you um, I suppose there? on the 6th of February at the monument here in Newcastle we're holding World Mental Health Day in conjunction right. with Time to Change which is a stigma campaign for All people right. with mental health and it's from 10 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the monument here there'll be lots of uh, networking lots of information about support groups around mental health there'll be yeah. lots of different organisations and charities there and yeah. so if you've got a mental health problem or feel like you know somebody that you want to help Come along and you'll get the right information. I think information. I'll be talking on PTSD that day Brilliant. as well, yeah. So. Brilliant, Ricky. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. When's mental? When, when's uh, it's actually the 6th of February because we couldn't have one last year because okay. of the rugby. They had the street oh, training yeah, rights. But it's normally the 10th of October, but 6th mm-hmm. of February this year. Come along and it'll be a great day. Brilliant. And thanks Brilliant. for having us. No worries. Thank thanks a lot, Thank you, Steve. Thank Perfectly you. Perfectly done. Right, what we're going to do, I'm, I'm going old, we're going old school, Ricky, for this music. We're going old school. We're going to do a little bit of Brian Adams. <laughs> Brian Adams? <laughs> Brian Adams yeah. with Melanie C. Do you remember this song? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm 47, yes, oh, definitely. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm remind- yeah. yeah, just Brilliant. as he's leaving, I'm going, You're f- yeah, I'm reminding you of your age. <laughs> uh, but no, this is uh, obviously... Oh, is this working? Yeah. yeah, so as I say, Melanie C, I, I used to annoy, speaking of my friend Phil, who I just mm-hmm. touched on, hello, Phil, if you're listening, is, is uh, yeah, he, he, I used to, list, like, 
sing this song all the time to really annoy him because he hated it. So this is for you, Phil. <laughs> so you're putting yeah. it in our heads now, yeah? Yeah, we're going to have it in your heads. It's a good, I think it's a good song. So yeah, this is Brian Adams, When You're Gone, featuring Melanie Safe. Obviously, this is from the Spice Girls, and you listen to Melanie Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. And hello, guys. This is Stephen, post-production, working on the Mentally Sound podcast that you're currently listening to. And I'm currently sitting in my comfy chair in my uh, flat uh, just outside of Newcastle. And the reason you're hearing me and not going back to the studio with Ricky, which we will do uh, shortly, is that we have decided to do an exclusive-only pre-record that was actually done during the show that we couldn't broadcast. And I'm here to do an introduction to said pre-record to provide the context for you guys that are listening for it to make sense really which is what and explain the the reasons behind why we are doing this because this could be a one-off or we might do more of this but um we feel this is the best way of approaching it so uh we decided to add this pre-record because we as i said we it was recorded during the actual live show and uh we had a full show already in terms of what we wanted to do so the idea of putting this in didn't make sense at the time so the obvious thing you may be thinking is so why not just put it in the next show but having had a discussion with the people behind the scenes who work on mentally sound the decision seems to be based on the the what you're about to hear within the interview is kind of focusing on mainly what's uh, news that's happening within the next month or so uh, and that's one of the reasons i have decided in post the best place to put it would be after mental health news because it's a lot of news that is current hence why we do a mental health news segment every show so the reason i put it there is for that and also the reason we wanted to put it in the actual show and not the next one is because it would lose its context and it would lose its its value if we didn't put it up and use it in the show afterwards than 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 the show we would do in february um so that was why so we were left with the decision basically to to be honest where it was either do we use the do we do we use this interview which was important to Stephen, the, the person being interviewed um and it's obviously about the northeast of england which we obviously care about being from the newcastle area that do we either use this the user segment or do we not use it at all because it would make no sense putting in the next one. So having had a discussion over the weekend before we put the podcast up, we decided it was worth putting in, as I say, maybe as a one-off or not, but that's the reason why you're hearing this exclusive only uh, pre-record and hearing me in my house telling you exactly the reasons behind it. So hope that makes sense and hope it sort of makes sense as to where I put it and various other things because I've had a long, hard think about that. Um, So hope that makes sense. So in terms of the... The interview that you're about to hear, it's with Dan, who's a new member of our team. Welcome aboard, Dan. It's great to have you on board. Um, So you may hear uh, Dan in more interviews in the future, but it's with a guy called Stephen Luke talking about the NHS and more specifically about the cuts that are taking place in the northeast of England, about the consultancies and the hospitals and the effect, positive, negative, that's happening on service users, uh, etc. So it's a very, it's a very good interview. Uh, It's it's, as we say, we felt it was important enough to put in in post, which we don't usually do. Um, so I hope you enjoy this particular interview. So when we come back to the live event, because the live uh, show recording that we did, uh, you'll be hearing me and Ricky interviewing Joe Kerwin, who is from um, Deep Hall North, and Pat Heron, who is from the Unison's Women's North uh, um, Network, I should say, uh, talking about homelessness in the Northeast and their sleep out that, they, that took place over the winter period uh, and whether there's more sleep outs going to happen. I should say as well, as I've been doing this in post, one of the things that's been taking a while is the 
the microphone we had a massive problem with the microphone during this interview so if 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 it's a if it's a very hard of hearing version it's because having two microphones with four people in a room is incredibly difficult to get and when one of them fails it you know um it's we're, we're kind of in trouble uh we feel that the microphone stopped working which is why the the, the sound quality is really bad so we can only apologize for that we try and resurrected it so um uh we hope i hope i've i hope i've done a decent enough job but you know you can't work with something that's hardly there so uh yeah i i feel it's appropriate we apologize for that so yeah this is the pre-recorded exclusive content for the podcast uh this is dan talking to steve and luke about the nhs and whatnot and when we come back to mentally sound you'll be hearing joe cohen and pat heron being interviewed by me and ricky live from friday's show uh and you're listening to mentally sound podcast thanks very much guys hope you enjoy it hi i'm here with uh Stephen luke who's going to be talking about some major changes that the nhs is planning to make in the northeast uh Stephen, can you first just talk a little bit about your background and why this is important to you uh well basically uh it's important to me because uh, uh, at present I'm a full-time carer of me mentally disabled brother and also due to me mother having been diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was aged five years old, then around the age of 26, uh, I became my brother's full-time carer who uh, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and also due to myself and my brother being identical twins we both became subjects of study in the Institute of Psychiatry in London for 10 years. And also, <clears throat> during my time of being his carer, I became involved uh, in voluntary work alongside carer and mental health organisations and also the likes of the Primary Care Trust, who are now the clinical commissioning groups, to try and help improve mental health services. Uh, and due to all of this, uh, I now have... A 42 years experience and in-depth knowledge of psychosis and mental health services. So you've obviously got a lot of experience with mental health services so I'm just wondering what changes are actually being planned to mental health services in the northeast? Well at present Newcastle and Gated are undergoing the most important changes in almost 30 years. This is partly due to austerity measures and cuts to health budgets have put more it's put more pressure on the closure of mental health beds and it's getting concerning now that over the past 5 years there's already been 459 mental health beds cut in Northumberland town and we are NHS services so what do you think the the impact has been of the 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 459 cuts to to beds over the last five years has it, has it had a positive impact or a negative impact well it's been a pretty negative impact um i mean during this time period it's led to all the mental health wards in northumberland town where nhs trust to be over the royal college of psychiatry recommended ward capacity of 84 percent all wards are now over the capacity and averaging at 99 percent there's also been a 62% increase of violence towards staff, an increase in suicides and murder and threats towards carers and family members. There's also been a national increase of a 63% increase of mental health inpatient referrals under the Section 3 Mental Health Act, which means 
they must be admitted and detained in hospital by law. The mental health crisis has become so bad nationally that in September 2015, both Norfolk and Suffolk Mental Health Services couldn't find a bed anywhere in the UK, both within the NHS or the private sector. More and more mentally ill are also now being detained in police custody and more are being imprisoned. Also, during the past five years, the population of Gated in Newcastle has increased by 12,000 and is still on the increase, and so are food banks, unemployment, homelessness and mental health illnesses itself. So the the Gateshead and Newcastle Clinical Commission Alliance have actually been consulting about this, haven't they? And what is their solution to the problem? Basically, um, I'm extremely concerned about the consultations that have been going on um, with Gated and Newcastle Clinical Commission Alliance uh, because they've been stating all along that more mental health beds must be cut. Um, but at the same time, they've been stating no decisions have been made as of yet. Uh, but at present, the, the present consultation process, which began again last November, will have been left with only three optional scenarios, all of which have a reduction of two mental health wards within Gates and Newcastle, which is a further reduction of around 40 beds, uh, also, one of the scenarios leaves no mental health acute beds within Gated or Newcastle at all, which is of extreme concern. So as part of the possible plans for the, the NHS mental health services in the northeast, they're actually going to change some locations, aren't they, for the mental health services? Yeah, that, that's one of the possibilities. Um, it's quite concerning that not only Newcastle and Gated might lose two of the five remaining wards, um, but the three wards that we might be left with may also be moved out of our localities to St George's Park and Morpeth or to um, Hopewood Park and Sunderland. So they're not actually going to be in the cities anymore? They're going to be outside of the cities, is that right? Yeah, we're, well... It's possible that we might not have any mental health acute wards left in Newcastle or Gated, um, and they will be moved into Northumberland and Sunderland. So what effect would that have on service users that want to use those services? Oh, it will have a ma- massive effect. Um, I mean, it's it's going to reduce engagement with families and carers, um, which is it's a known fact that is actually crucial for recovery to engage with, you know, obviously family, friends and carers. And, I mean, some family members will not even be able to get to these areas because it's too far for them. And those themselves will will have the disabilities. And, I mean, the likes of my parents are um, the pensioners now, my mother's disabled. And those those themselves um, struggle with with travelling and... It, it would just, you know, it's it's the travelling for the families there and back, which is actually part of um, the trust policies who have signed up to the carers' charter where they need more carer and family engagement. There's also the triangle of care, which it, it's all proven under 
the Royal College of Psychiatry recommendations and standards that it is crucial to have family involvement and carer involvement to recovery rates. It, it actually helps them recover quicker to get them out of hospital quicker. So if, if they're going to be out of the area, they're going to end up in hospital longer, which effectively is going to cost services more. So to me, it's just it's insanity. Um, it's also going to isolate them more. And then there's also the fact that when they do start recovering and they have to be integrated back into the community, they've got miles to travel, you know. They'll have to get th- a bus 30 miles to Chopwell, for example. Um, and it, it's just, that's going to impact them because the first stages of integration, you're kind of only allowed home for a day or a day or two. So you've got to go home, come back to hospital, go home. So you're back and forth travelling. And these long distances of travelling, um, especially from, say, St George's, um, there's not even a bus from the hospital grounds. Um, basically, bet- the, the, the nearest bus stop to the grounds is over a mile, right? So they will ha- literally have to either walk or get a taxi to a bus stop. And then they would have to get another two buses to the likes of Chopwell and Far Out areas or even further. You know, um, I mean, there's people from Northumberland, like Holtwistle, who will have to travel 90 miles to get that service. Because there's people from those localities who use the likes of uh, the Hadrian Clinic or the Tramwell Unit. You know, it's going to cause all kinds of mayhem. It's, I mean, it's only, it's also going to cause problems for staff to travel, as well, and the the costs for them. The CCGs have also said that they're going to cover all the travel expenses, and they said they would even pay for taxis. It would cost them about eighty-five pound for one trip for my parents to get there and back in a taxi. You know, I mean, are, are they going to pay that every? other day or every day or however however often they wish to um visit me brother or you know it's it's just absolutely absurd so it's just worth uh, stating again that these are just plans and they are still consulting on it so if you do want to to get involved in the consultancy uh steven will give out some information about that now myself and paulie mcdonnell who are both carers from gated who engage with the Northumberland Time We Are Service User and Care Network and Gated Public Services Alliance, who have both been involved in the entire consultation process, will be discussing our concerns on these changes to services at a carer focus group in Gated. We urge as many people as possible to get involved in this process and welcome all carers, service users, family members or NHS staff to our carer focus group on the 3rd of February 2016 between 6 and 8pm. Unfortunately, the venue is still to be confirmed. Contact details will be as followed. Yep, so if you're wanting to get involved in that carer's focus group, you can contact Gateshead Crossroads Carer's Trust and ask for Diane Sanford or Martin Mulvaney on 01-207-509-509. 780 or you can email steve here at sirluke at hotmail.com for updates and information there's also going to be two remaining consultations with the nhs and they're going to be done on wednesday the 13th of january 
at 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Gateshead Civic Centre on in the Berwick meeting room in Gateshead. Registration for that starts at 9.30. Alternatively, there's another consultation on Saturday the 6th of February from 1 till 3 p.m. And that'll the registration for that will start at 12.30 p.m. And that'll be at the Community Arts Space, St Edmunds Chapel, High Street Gateshead. If you're wanting to do those consultations, you have to first register and book a space on the Newcastle and Gateshead CCG Alliance webpage. And that is newcastlegateshead.ccg.nhs.uk. Or you can phone them up on 0191 217 2996. All right, see you, and thanks for coming in and talk to, talking to us about the consultation process. Yeah, thanks for having us. Cheers. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. That was the epic when you're gone with Brian Adams. <laughs> His choice, not mine. <laughs> it's making me just reminding me how young I was once yeah. at the time. The nine, good old nineties, eh? Yeah. Uh, but there you go. So anyway, yeah, huge thank you to everyone that's been on the show so far. As I touched on earlier on the show, if you want to get in contact with us, you can at, at underscore mentally sound and mentally sound radio at gmail.com. But we have, as we touched on earlier in the show. Some guys talking from DePaul and Unison Women's Network, Network. Yeah. is that correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we have uh, in the studio right now, live to talk to us, Joe Kerwin and Pat Herron. Hello guys. Hello. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about obviously DePaul North and the sleep out, which I'm intrigued about because I'm not, because I was going as that opposite to sleep in and Ricky said, kind of. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we'll start with Joe. So you want to explain what that is and what you do, what you do with uh, DePaul? Yeah, so DePaul is a national youth homeless charity that's based right here in the northeast. And we run loads of different projects around the northeast, supporting mainly young men and women mm-hmm. who find themselves homeless. Um, and it was this December that um, the Unison Women's Network got in touch to say that they would like to raise funds and do a collection for us, and they did that through their sleep out. Um, and I suppose Pal would be the best person to explain a little bit more about what they actually did in practice there. Was this the December sleep out challenge? Was that is that the right one? Was mm-hmm. it you wouldn't? It was part of that, but we okay. took it. From there, and then we decided to do it a little bit differently okay. to raise the funds, right. obviously to go back to the homeless for the poor. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, what were the ven- where were the venues that these took place? Uh, Those are um, a church hall in in Bolden. Yeah, uh, um, and can I just say, from our point of view, it was we asked the women to give up the home comforts for the night. Right. Oh, what a, what a home comfort. Describe that. <laughs> just the makeup bag. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was horrible. He said, he said that, not <laughs> me, know, just I'm to joking, clarify. I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what it was the home comforts. We um, were in a church hall, mm-hmm. um, no heating, mm-hmm. two toilets, wow, okay. no mm-hmm. running hot water. Um, we did have um, a kettle to boil a drink mm-hmm. and that. Um, slept on the floor in sleeping bags. Cool, right. yeah. Um, well, hence what, the idea, yeah. Yeah, and what we basically did, we came together, we did things like um, girl guy games doing cool. the mm-hmm. Did that, you get your badges? <laughs> <laughs> um, we did have a walk around when it got dark and we sat for a while outside and mm-hmm. on the steps of the church and we got the feel of what it was be and it was on that worst night when all the big storm was on when the wind was right. going. Oh, on great, night. yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, as I say... It made us realise how the basic things in life, mm-hmm. like a roof over your head, being able to go out to a toilet, being able to wash yourself, clean your teeth and things like that, just the basics made us realise what it must be like. 
So this was deliberate because he wanted to raise the point from a young girl, a young woman's point of view, you know, in terms of... It, um, it came about because a while ago we were um, in a discussion with some uh, another association that mentioned about hom- homeless young women mm-hmm. and it made us realise from the basic point they were on about sanitary projects and yeah. how these young women mm-hmm. manage when mm-hmm. they're on the streets mm-hmm. and um, we couldn't believe what we were hearing when we heard how it happened. They get a lot of donations, but people don't think about yeah. them kind of products. Mm-hmm. So we decided that that would be the main theme around why we would do. So it was, all, it was raising awareness as well as funds, yeah. 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 Um, if can we just say when you're talking, because we were just hearing in the background that if you could just lean even further in, I know it's the most unconventional. Oh, I know it's the most unconventional, and it makes you kind of more closer than you maybe are, but <laughs> but it's just you only need to look at us two to yeah, see. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, we've been hugging the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's 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 certainly interesting, I should say. So in terms of the the bigger picture, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, what is the kind of goals between the two organisations, and are they compatible? Would you say? Um, well, hopefully we'll have quite a long term working relationship going forward. I know there's plans starting now, but there's plans to do more sleep outs in the future. Uh-huh. It's especially important for us um, that the issue of young women were raised and the issues around sanitary products. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, home roof sleeping has risen 55% since 2010, and the biggest rise outside London has been here in the northeast. Really? Yeah. And far too often we don't think about roof sleeping mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. We think about, oh, well, people sofa surfing and so- other forms of homelessness, but it's all getting so much worse in our society, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is hidden homelessness. I, I feel I'm aware enough to say that I can t- I've noticed yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and it's, it's, it's something I really wanted to ask you because you are probably the best people to ask is that it, it's something I, I'm. I've I know people who have been homeless in the past, and and that you know they obviously have a a, a a good effect, a massive affection for these people who they see. But it seems to me that the, there's kind of an issue happening in society now where, you know, when I was would see people like this, I would want to ha- I would help them and I would give them something. But it seems like people have got this this perception because there are people out there. It's perceived that there's people who make it up, you know, and and just take money off people, and you you see that. I know that does happen, but I guess what I'm asking you is someone who is sympathetic to their cause, who wants to do something, what's the best way of dealing with them mm-hmm. and, how to, and how do you actually can help? The best way to always deal with them is to just ask them what support they need, first off, because mm-hmm. often people will presume they want money and or food, but it's sometimes best to ask them, because actually in some cases they will have not a place to call their own, but a, maybe a roof for a night. Yeah. And they may be begging just to actually get by because they need the rest of the essentials. There's things that Pat mentioned earlier, things that people need to get by more than just a roof because far too often we think of homelessness as just being on the street. We don't think about all the other essentials mm. in life. That yeah. So find out what support they need, what mm. support they're already linked into, and try and find out where else you can send them. Um, there are support agencies all around the northeast that you can link them in with, and we're all very good and work very well together because we all link in quite well with each other. So in the mm-hmm. city centre of Newcastle, places like Crisis and Shelter that can provide a place for them to be in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. while charities like ourselves and DePaul can provide that roof and long-term support Great. for the night. Mm-hmm. And, and through your experience, what have been the, the range of reasons that have led to this rise, particularly up here? Has there been specific things? or uh, The two biggest things i found have been um, especially amongst young homes mm. people, it's been uh, mum's got a new boyfriend, dad's got a new girlfriend, and that's been a very common right. one. And right. obviously, when there's a lot more pressure at home and money's much tighter, 
tensions get higher and things mm. fall apart quickly. Really? So you see, like, sort of step-parents can be, or, it, or it potential? It's a catalyst. Yeah, okay. Mm. That's interesting. So where things might stay together easier in the past, um, the pressure at home with less money creates more arguments, which means things fall apart quicker. And the other main reason has been, um, a ri- well, because of the cuts in mental health services, mm. things, again, are falling apart quicker at home. People are unable to maintain properties. And we know, well, from, what, from the students we do, we know at least 70% of the people that we work with have a mental health issue. And obviously that it gets mm. much worse when they're in a homeless mm. situation. I agree, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to get Pat into, the, uh, into this, and if you move the mic to you, that would be great. Is to just, I wanted to ask you, in relation to, you just touched on the cuts in mental health. Um, how much of an effect is that having? Because obviously we talk about that with a bunch of different illnesses. We, we, we've, we've touched on this because, you know, see, I have bipolar, Ricky's mentioned he's got PTSD. Uh, how is that affecting people in the homeless category? Well, obviously, because I'm from the public sector union, yes. Amazon is the public sector. I mean, we all know that the health cuts, what are happening with health and the health services, exactly, yeah. are mm-hmm. being driven by this government. Mm-hmm. Um, from a standard point of view, I would say in the social justice issue, I mean, it just links into everything that you've got. If somebody's in, in ill health, if they've got no home, which we know the cuts are being made by this government now, mm-hmm. under 25, yeah, you know, to get mm-hmm. a home, and how are you going to get a home? Social housing isn't around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they refuse to address the proper way of looking at private landlords, because private landlords... Mm-hmm. I think a, a real problem as well, especially mm-hmm. for the young people to try and get somewhere. I mean, the cost of them. I mean, if I was, I, I actually can give an example of that in my own life is because one of the things that happened to me, I was in a, a psychiatric ward when I was not very well, and I got out of the psychiatric ward. I was not having a particularly great time with my family, so. Um, luckily I had friends who were willing to, to accommodate me during that period of time otherwise I would have been left with the unfortunate situation of being homeless and and the problem with that is that and the problem I had was that while I was waiting it's exactly what you just said in regards to the private landlords I, I is there's no way to go like you know you, you, go, you end up on some sort of register where you wait forever and you have to sort of prove that you that you need it and then you end up like I did where I eventually found a private landlord that was willing to kind of uh, take on the fact that I had benefits and all that kind of stuff and that I was unable to work for a period of time. And if I hadn't have found that, um, I would have, God knows what would have happened because my friends were very nice to me, but when you're there for over a month, they're suddenly like, you know, how long is this going to take? You know, how long are you going to be there? So Again, uh, it boils down to stigma, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, how much of a stigma have you, have you seen amongst people you've dealt with? Mm-hmm. And there's still a massive stigma there, and mm. especially for young people, they mm. feel like that stigma, and they don't want to tell people, or they don't want to go to the council, or they don't want to go to services, yeah. and because they think they will be singled out and mm. made to look different, and that staying on friends' couches, I think a lot of people do that, um, and more than we ever know, but it becomes da- more dangerous and dangerous, because you stop with friends, and friends are friends, and friends are friends. And we know, especially again, if we go back to young women, there's cases where young women are stopping on the couches and having to trade sexual favours to keep that mm. roof over the head for them. Wow. But they'll say to the friends, oh, I'm stopping with a friend. Mm. Uh, yeah, you're mm. sort of get hinted at that. I actually, uh, we touched on this earlier, but um, I saw a Howard Stern episode once where 
there was a guy who would do that. He was doing that in order to get a place. He had a heroin addiction, but he was basically take out having he was giving sexual favors to gay guys in order mm. to um, mm. in order to have a place to stay. So you wanted to elaborate on that, sorry. I'm just going to say, from our point of view, and um, from women and young women, the shared accommodation that the government talks about, yeah. that shared accommodation, I mean, you put a young, vulnerable young girl into a situation yeah. like that, mm-hmm. with so people who know great. nothing mm-hmm. about, and it's mixed, it's not just all women. Really? So okay. That can be the problem as well. And also, when Joe's just touched on it there, it's the case of, this is um, a problem for young girls getting into the trafficking situation and I would say from not but you've just said there point of view that young gay men and that could go into it as well oh god yeah I mean uh, and it's funny because again this is reminiscent with me in my life is because that was brought up that whole aspect of shared accommodation and I'm glad you clarified it because from my limited experience I remember when they they were telling me about that was a prospect for me to go there it sounds terrifying it sounds almost like you're you going into like a the, the the most I don't know I mean feel free to correct me but what is the actual shared accommodation like in terms of size because it sounded to me like I was going to some sort of like four but four meter by four meter box <laughs> I mean, it's not like that but that's 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 how it felt you know what I mean the, the problem is it's, it, there is a complete range there are shared okay. accommodations which are absolutely perfect and are great and a lot of ex students mm. who use it as the first house all right However, yeah a lot of these shared accommodations that accept housing benefit tend to be much more of the more dangerous places mm-hmm. where you will have a real mix mm-hmm. of people there. Mm-hmm. Or you will potentially have, say, a young 16-year-old girl who's been kicked out by the family living with a 42-year-old male ex-offender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, there's no control over that. Mm-hmm. There's no regulation mm-hmm. of that. And actually, there was a point um, on other private landlords I wanted to mention before about people that may be lucky enough to get their own flat um, with housing benefit and um, then being too worried to report a problem because mm-hmm. it's been a big problem especially again in the North East yeah. about revenge evictions young people who say oh actually the roof is leaking it's a problem with the boiler and mm-hmm. then the landlord kicking them out because they dared to ask for to, for a repair or something that was well within their rights I feel very fortunate then because my landlord's mm-hmm. very nice to me <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. my landlord's the same I'm very lucky with my landlord <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I count my blessings every yeah, day yeah yeah very good unfortunately we run out of time with you guys but I just wanted to, to make sure is there anything I've missed out you want to mention uh, just one last thing yeah. I mean regarding homelessness one thing you would you'd hear about you'd hear about things like drug abuse and alcoholism I just want to just want to ask how much do them to mask mental health issues within vulnerable people do you know great question mm. absolutely massively, massively. <laughs> and far too many people will point or, or even within the sector will point and say oh well we need to solve the alcohol issue or mm. the drug issue and totally forget about the underlying mental health mm. issue which needs to be resolved as well yeah mm. I, I, it, I actually released the blog today about that very subject yeah it's totally totally right uh, it, it it baffles me that because you know you've always got to think of why actually I was going to mention this earlier because I watched um and it may sound irrelevant, but it's uh, Tony Adams, who's a famous professional mm-hmm. footballer mm-hmm. who had uh, alcohol problems. I watched his documentary that was from Channel 4 years ago, and I watched that last night. I just happened to come across it on the internet, and um, mm. and it resonated with me really strongly because, you know, he was getting the treatment for the alcohol, but they weren't dealing with why he was drinking, mm. which is why he had such mm. a long period of time. Again, and, it bugs down a stigma, doesn't yeah, it? Uh, before, and, so. and again, yeah, you don't get to the root of the problem, which mm. is what you need to deal with, yeah, so... Um, I want thank to make, you guys for coming. Yeah, it's yeah, really it was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I just yeah. want to make sure we we mention where where we can find you guys. Are you our internet presence? If you want to mention where you can yeah, find, so you can find um, DePaul's work in the northeast on Twitter at sorry at DePaul North. Yes, um, all underscore. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And if you just type in DePaul UK into any Google search, we'll pop straight up. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
and you can find uh, Lunas and Women have a Twitter account which is Lunas and Women North N N E N E yeah. So quick, is any more sleepouts planned or scheduled? We will. We decided we're going to take this on as one of our core issues in the region. I mean, we do a lot of work around domestic violence as well, which obviously would come into. Which links into that, yeah. So, as I say, yeah, we are planning to keep on raising awareness. So more people get involved in Mary, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Fine, yeah. Brilliant. Excellent, that's right? We have to dash, but thank yeah. you so much guys for being on. I'm um, uh, educational, I find. Was I was great. really I was really interested was in that. So we're gonna play uh some forty one, this is fat lip. Uh, again I'm being all I'm being all nineties, I don't know what's going on here. Uh but yeah, we're gonna play that and we'll be right back with Jules who's gonna play some who's gonna uh, read some poetry from anonymous people as well as his own poetry yeah. and obviously we're gonna end the show off show eleven, but we'll be back in a sec on Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio North East. Hello guys, welcome back. I was, Danny just stopped the, the song and went, go! Um, sorry guys, we were trying to sort out the microphone, so apologies if you got any, uh, well, was, we already know it was quiet uh, during that interview. We hope we have fixed it with Jules uh, now on doing his poetry with a bunch of people. So we hope that's fixed. It'll be sorted uh, for the podcast, right? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, I will try and fix that particular interview for the podcast uh, in post. But um, So yeah, we apologise for that. But we're back. Anyway, and I would say, would you like to say, our poet laureate, as I like to call him, mm-hmm. is here to do some poems. Are you going to do some... Right, so hello, Juice, first of all. Uh, uh, yeah, hello, people. Hello. Uh, the mighty Julester is in, in the house. I'd like to in say, I'd like to say, first of all, welcome to our friends... Uh, all over the world, and particularly the people who are in the over-50s Corbinites group, who I know are listening in your droves, and enjoy the show. And um, thanks for contacting me, because you've got lots of uh, interesting stuff to say, and even some websites about mental health down south, which you were going to share with us in future shows, I know. So... Lads, talk to me. Yes, yeah, talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great one is here. <laughs> yeah, Realise so, he was that popular, so, uh, isn't yeah, he? Really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so who's that? You Jules coming on? I, I, am I right in saying that what I was getting to was? Are you going to do some anonymous poems first, and then your own? How are we going to do this? Uh, Show you want. I'll let you do it. Whichever order you want. I'll do the anonymous ones last. Okay. The stage is yours. I just want to um, first of all talk about my life a bit because it was supposed to be an interview about me a bit. So, um, I'm doing really well. Um, I'm proud to be involved with the Mentally Sound Radio. I think we're doing a great job, aren't we, lads, in mm-hmm. spreading the word about well, mental health? Well, I would say that. <laughs> yes or no? Have we had, no, totally, yeah. have we had any Hell feedback? Yes. No, we've had a great time. Uh, Gareth, have we had any feedback? I don't know. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, Gareth said yes. <laughs> about the content, I mean. Yeah. Not yes. the sound. Right. Always, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to mention that I did a show, show 99 with uh, oh, Steve did, yes. over there. Mm. Thank you very much. For Two the hours. We talked yes. about my life, and but mainly about bipolar mood disorder. Yeah, we? we had a good debate about that. Because we've yeah. both been through it, haven't we? Yeah. And, indeed, uh, yes. No, I really enjoyed it. Have we got a reference for that? Uh, sorry? Have we got a reference so people can listen? Oh, yeah, well, it's on, I- well, yeah, it's on iTunes and geekapocalypse.com. Uh, you can find it on there. So. Geek, uh, uh, Geek uh, dot com. No, I'm, no, we were, we were privileged with that. that. Oh, no, 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 right. Uh, and uh, one of my, my poems uh, I like because um, it was about Jeremy Corbyn, and I've sent it to him. It's oh, called yes. War and Peace. And also I've had a poem called... Uh, no, it wasn't called War and Peace. 
Jeremy's was called Centerfold after the song by Jay Gar's band. Okay. Imagine the words. And War and Peace actually went in, was published in a magazine in the Philippines, Peace Against Terrorism, with my friend Lillian, as who was the editor. She's got a strange Filipino name, so I can't say the rest of it. Okay. But um, thanks, Lillian, if you're listening. Okay, far away. Uh, right. And uh, also, I'm headlining five gigs in the next, up to April, and I'll just quickly mention them. Okay. Uh, World Mental Health Day, you mentioned that already? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing two 20-minute sessions on the monument, outside the monument, okay. uh, with um, the lads and with Steve O'Driscoll. Uh, if you mention the dates, we can do this at the end, Jules, if you want oh. to do poetry. You can do it right. at the end. Okay, then. Poetry. Um, how much time have I got, my yeah. man? A couple of minutes, a few minutes. Three, three, minutes. three poems, three two poems. Minutes. Well, for you and the... Uh, on, on, on two the poems. Song. So, yeah, yeah, two poems, go for it, yeah. Three poems altogether. Fire. Okay, yeah. I'll start with the anonymous ones then. Fire away. Go for it. Uh, don't know his, his or her name. Uh, they, live, <laughs> they, live, they live in the northeast. Yeah. South explanatory. And um, they're short. Ready? Go for it, yeah. I'll just read them, I won't explain anything. Okay. Golden crops, ancient wisdom planted into the land, morning dew, pure t- tears of freedom, a game of chance. Next poem. Valuable salt, teardrops fall. From the heavens, wild horses gallop east, freedom tasted by the merchant's tongue, the sunrise, a humble paradise. Last one. Ancient tongues, trees whisper of forgotten custom, streams protecting dreams, wild horses chasing a setting sun, silver to cross the palm. Right, that's... uh, that oh, was quite good, wasn't it? Oh, I liked that, yeah. yeah. That was very good. good. That yeah. was quite mm-hmm. have, a l- have a listen to you again on the podcast, which yeah. will be out later in the week, Steve. Yeah, beginning next week. And uh, it's always worth a good listen to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, now then, I'm looking at Graham. Can you hear me, Graham? I know you're listening. You yes. <laughs> yes, I can hear. That, that's that's no. Graham. That's Graham talking, by the way. Graham, Graham is Graham is somewhere down <laughs> south, and we've made contact today. And uh, his daughter has got uh, depression and mm-hmm. been into suicide and self harm, and his wife is into serious depression as well. And we talked, and I said, "I'll do you a favour, and I'll dedicate this poem to you." I hope it cheers the whole of your family up. I'll give you a bit of background. It's about Steve O'Driscoll, who you heard on the mental health news earlier, hopefully. And he is was into self-harm, still is. He talks about it a lot to people and tries to get the um, make it uh, accepted by people and explain why people with self-harm do it. So here's the poem I wrote for him. Um, it's called No Harm. Steve is well into self-harm, but whenever I see him, he's calm. He gives his mental all, responding to Alistair's call. His best mates with Richard Branson, Virgin Newcastle, his number one fans. He relishes the odd smoke. On the stage, he never chokes. Steve is an example to us all. His stories help us recover from a fall. Tears in our souls and eyes make us want to cry. Steve has turned his life around. We all hope that Vicky will be found. He's so open and direct. He deserves total respect. 
Yes, and I understand you framed that one for him, didn't you? I framed that one for him, and he had an episode. Mm. You won't mind me saying, because I've already talked to him about it, a couple of weeks ago when the police and the ambulance were involved, and the police... He's got it framed in his hallway, and the police and ambulance staff all read it. Not only that, but he's written a book about his daughter, Vicky, who hasn't seen for 20 years, and the two policemen bought the book, amazingly. It's available on Amazon, I understand, yeah? Right, yes. you got one more quick one, and then we need to obviously mention yep. this stuff very quick. Uh, I'll read... The second one if you've got one. Yeah, I'll read this one. Okay. I'm just uh, promoting my book, which is called um, Jewels of Your Heart, and it's out on Amazon next week, and it's romantic poems, and this is one of the poems from it. It's called Desire. I look around casually. I feel safe naturally. I dream realistically. I smile solicitously. I relax cosmopolitically. I envision dual complicity. I muse longingly. I set myself free. I believe in having dignity, not showing off. I desire anonymity. I cherish the freedom of spontaneity. I see exactly what I see. I have no desire for notoriety. I want the world to be happy. I can foresee my own destiny. I just want you to be prepared to die for me. So, Brilliant. that's it. That's Come it. on, clap so people. So where can you find your, So where can we find your Powerful. good self? You can uh, find me... At, mentioned the dates quickly. Uh, uh, you can find me web-wise, web, web The Jewelster on yeah. Facebook. Uh, that's just a poetry page. You can just see and all my posts. Jewelster 999. I know this because I follow on Twitter. And Jewelster <laughs> at 999. Yeah? 999. On Twitter. Yeah. And I'm also on YouTube. But uh, watch out for me because I, I cheer people up. Very and good. now I'm going. Bye bye. Watch out Thank for him. Jules. Watch out for him. And as for everyone, happy new year, good sir. And that's it. We're done. We're done. But there's one final thing I'm going to do. I know. I hope Karis okay with this. But, um, so we're going to finish. We're going to play a song right now. But it's going to be a song that i done. It's for the 100th episode of Geek Apocalypse, which I have been working on all of this week. Danny, how dare you? You've been all, all having a go at me. But yeah, it's something I'm working really hard on. There's some guys in Mentally Sound who are involved in this. Jules and Ricky were very kind enough to do a, a, an audio for me earlier today, which is fun, which is I'm hugely honoured. Um, and yeah, I've been working on this song. It's me playing harmonica, guitar, piano, and a bunch of other things, so I hope people like it. And what it's what genre would you describe this as? I don't really know. It's quite fo- it's got quite a folksy Funk? feel to it when yeah. I when I finished with it. So mm. um, I've I've li- gave it to a couple of close friends, and they said it's really good. So okay. I'm, and I kind of trust their opinion, mm. and they're all gonna you guys are all gonna be involved in the video in some way as well. So good way of ending. But well, thank you to Ricky. Uh, Pleasure, man. Such a great. We're, we're shaking hands on this one. Yeah, we're shaking hands. No, no longer hugging. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah so, I um, need a hug, by the way. I know. It's okay. It's coming. And so, yeah, we will. <laughs> no girls in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, huge thank you to everyone who's been involved as guests. Jenny. Oh, uh, Jenny David, was brilliant. Jenny was brilliant. David. Joe from Joe, DePaul Pat, and yeah, Pat from um, Unison Women's Network. Uh, who else was the, uh, was the one earlier on? We had Steve doing the news. Yeah, Thanks Steve to him. News. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we lost somebody out. Oh, and um, and David, 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 yeah, David, yeah, yeah, David Hill um, uh, as well, and obviously Steve. Yeah, thank you, Steve, for for, for filling in for you for, men, uh, for mental health mm-hmm. news. That was really well done, and thank you to Jules. And mm-hmm. happy new year, everyone. I uh, hope you have a good 2016. We'll be back uh, in February uh, for the next show. Until What's then. the date, please? Uh, what is the date? I don't. Yeah. Know. I have no idea. Second week of Friday. Second Friday. Whatever. Yeah. That, whatever that is yeah, in February. Twelfth. 
Yeah, so thank, thank you, Karen Gareth. So, yeah, 12th of February, we'll be back for another edition of Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. But thank you so much, guys, and to play us out. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. It's called Share the World.
Tonight, tonight, tonight. 